Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, I reached out to the Pac 12 conference offices and I asked them who's going to be officiating Friday's Pac 12 championship game? You know, Pac 12 officiating. It's become a topic, a running topic of conversation among fans in the Pac-12 conference. Let's be real. There are quarterbacks, there are coaches, there are defenses. Games are won and lost. But it's often the officiating that Pac-12 fans are left talking about after the games. Now, I've asked the conference over the years, what it plans to do to fix the officiating. And they will push back and go, hey, there's bad calls in every conference. I've asked them over the years, what are they doing to help uh, improve the officiating in general? Like, you know, do they have a supervisor of officials uh, situation that they can that they can improve? Is there a consulting firm that specializes in officiating that they can hire? And the Pac-12 will come back and go, you know, it's, this is just fans being fans. I want to kick this around a little bit. Uh, when you look around football, because I know I watch a lot of football, but I want to know what you see when you see the Pac-12 conference officials. Because if it's just bad calls in human error, I think we could all live with it a little bit. Like the ball being spotted late in the Oregon State football game, spotted incorrectly on third down in particular, probably respotted incorrectly on fourth down, becomes a topic of conversation in the stadium. It becomes a topic of conversation in your living room. When they lose track of downs in two different Pac-12 games in a conference season, one of them being the Washington State game earlier in the year that was just an absolute debacle uh, as Oregon and Washington State ended up punting the football and then having to go back and go, oh, never mind, it was only third down. Really should have been second down for Washington State. Um, when they fail to open the microphone and clarify in a way that makes you feel like you understand what's going on on the field, there's a problem. But if it were just human error, if this were just, hey, it's, uh, you know, accidents happen, mistakes happen, I think we could all live with it. The problem that we have and I have with officiating in the Pac-12 conference, and maybe tell me if I'm out in left field on this one, Maybe uh, maybe you see it differently. The problem I have is that, at the very least, the Pac-12 has a brand issue when it comes to its officiating. And at most, it has a systemic problem and also a brand issue. I think, uh, I think that's, the latter is true. But I don't think what we can say with a straight face is that everything's fine in the Pac-12 conference, knowing that the conversation often becomes about the officiating and not the football games. If the officiating in the conference uh, were mostly good, 
we could tolerate the mistakes and we could just say it's human error. You're going to get that when human beings are officiating games. But I don't think that's what we're seeing at all in the Pac-12. I think they have a system that is set up that doesn't have a feeder system. There's no minor league system as it pertains to uh, feeding the games or the teams into, uh, into uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Pac-12 officiating group. Like, there's no Big Sky Conference, Mountain Sky Conference consortium with the Pac-12 that they create, like, this minor league pipeline where the officials get trained in a uniform fashion, uh, that they get to work together and get familiarity with each other and come up through the ranks like umpires do in Major League Baseball. Uh, no, it's not at all like that with the Pac-12 Conference. In fact, the Big 12 Conference has the consortium with the Mountain West. So the Mountain West officials, the top-graded Mountain West officials, will graduate into the Big 12 Conference. That shouldn't be happening. George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, has got to fix that. He's got to create that pipeline. Because if, if they had that pipeline in place, if they had a competent supervisor of officials, I wouldn't have to ask questions like, hey, guys, who's officiating Friday night's game? And when I got the answer, it wasn't an answer I was satisfied with. The answer from the Pac-12 conference is that they're not going to tell me who's officiating Friday night's game. Uh, they'll wait to make that announcement. They say, none of your business. Uh, in fact, uh, you, a lot of people don't know who's officiating until the game starts. But Pac-12 will probably uh, indicate that maybe day of game, maybe the day before. But they did give me the protocol by which they select their officials, and I even think there's a problem with that. The Pac-12 tells me that the highest graded officials at every position in officiating will be on the field on Friday. So the highest graded official uh, that are out there will all be there. And uh, beyond that, uh, there are some rules. The uh, rules stipulate that uh, no official can officiate two championship, championship games in a row, which doesn't make any sense to me uh, because they, you, know, you want the best officials out there. I don't care if the best head referee or the best linesman was there a year ago. Get them back out there if they're still the best. They're still the highest graded referee or linesman. The other rule that the Pac-12 has is that a first-year official cannot officiate the Pac-12 championship game. Well, why not? Why not? Why not have the best? If the best official is a rookie, you know, you can be rookie of the year in the NFL, and you can play in the Super Bowl. You can be rookie of the year and make all pro. You can be a rookie in Major League Baseball and also win the MVP. You can play in the World Series as a rookie. I don't understand why a first-year official in the Pac-12 conference is not eligible to officiate the conference championship game. It doesn't make any sense to me. If I'm USC in Utah, here's what I want on Friday, and, and I think you want it too as a fan. We want the best damn officials in the Pac-12 conference to be on the field because I actually believe that if you took the best officials in the Pac-12, the top-graded officials, I think you could put those officials against anybody else in any other conference, and you would probably have a big-time win. But where you start to break down is when you go, okay, uh, first-year officials not eligible, not eligible to, to officiate two games in a row. Suddenly you're starting to weed it out, and you're telling, you're signaling to your officials that officiating the conference championship game is like going on a junket at the end of the year. It's a reward. It's a reward for a good season, which it really shouldn't be. This isn't about sitting around poolside in Vegas. It's not about playing golf. This is about 
USC trying to get to the college football playoff. Why is the Pac-12 saying, hey, uh, you know, if you officiated last year, this is not a meritocracy, okay? If you officiated last year, you're out. And by the way, if you're a rookie, you have to wait for your second year to get there. Uh, I just think it's ridiculous. I think it's another thing that is probably held over from the Larry Scott era. Uh, I think the Pac-12 officiating from the Larry Scott era was largely marked by uh, some incompetence, some good officials. Uh, they ran off Ter Tony Carrenti, who was the supervisor of officials, longtime NFL referee who was widely respected. Carrenti just retired a year ago. Hell, if I'm George Klyovkov, I get that guy back on the phone, and I say, hey, you want to come back in? You want to be the supervisor of officials? Have at it. You want to you consult with us? You're not ready to go back full-time? Consult with us. Have at it. We need help. But I'm not hearing that. I'm not hearing it from the Pac-12, and it concerns me. We got a great show for you today. Jace Coburn will be with us, Portland State men's basketball coach. We'll visit with Jaden Grant, uh, defensive back who made the play. Uh, uh, and stopping Bo Nix, the Oregon quarterback, i got to ask him, was he anticipating Bo Nix to keep the ball on fourth down and one? And also on today's show, Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated will be along. The Pac-12 knocking on the door with the playoff with USC. Will they get through? Will the door open for the Trojans? What happens in college football? What's going to happen with the Rose Bowl? All of that on today's show. we got great sound for you as well. Uh, it is a fun week. And a uh, fun radio show today. I'm glad that you're here for it. But you tell me, if, you know, am I out in left field when it comes to the officiating? Are you tired of having this conversation? Or are you a Pac-12 fan who's just had enough like I have? I'm watching the officiating, and I've always been one of these people who will say, hey, good teams overcome bad calls. Good teams overcome bad calls. But I believe that, and I believe that when it, as it pertains to, you know, if everything else is taken care of and buttoned up, right? Like, I don't, I don't believe there's a conspiracy theory in the Pac-12. I don't. I don't believe that the league's out to get one team or get another team. Like, I've had coaches say, you know, I feel like they officiate us differently. I, I believe that sometimes certain teams get assigned maybe the lower-graded crews. So you have more problems. And I think Washington State is probably one of those teams that doesn't see – the top-graded crews all the time. But I, by and large, think that the Pac-12 conference officiating and the problems it, that, are, that are happening on the fields, I kind of think that it just is, uh, a, you know, a symptom of a system that's broken, not like, you know, there's some nefarious plan by the conference commissioner and his cronies to make sure that USC or Utah or Oregon or Washington play for the championship. No, no, no. Like, I don't believe that there was a conspiracy against Oregon State in spotting the ball in third down any more than I believe that there was a conspiracy against Washington State when the officials forgot about third down. It's a problem. And I hope George Klyovkov, the commissioner, doesn't make the mistake that Larry Scott, his predecessor, made and go, no, there's nothing to see here. It just happens everywhere. Like, you can easily walk through the door and you can say that. But if you've been here long enough, and I think you have, you have to know as you look around that this officiating is problematic and that at the very least the public has lost confidence in it. Got a great show today. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. You got the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. 
So come tomorrow uh, morning, George Klyovkov, Pac-12 commissioner, and Merton Hanks, Pac-12's, uh, uh, you know, supervisor of football. Uh, they will uh, be uh, conducting a news conference. Normally this news conference is done as part of the Pac-12 championship game, which is Friday in Las Vegas. But tomorrow this will be on Zoom. Um I want you to hear before I go to the phone lines, and I want your take on the officiating in the Pac-12, because I'm going to ask these guys, what's going on with the officiating? Can you improve it? What steps are you taking? What things are you concerned about? I think these are all valid questions. I want the officiating to be better. I'm not here, and I'm not in this to try to make George Kyovkov look bad or make Merton Hanks feel bad. I'm in this because I want when you go to the games or when I watch the games, the officiating not to be the story. I'm going to ask him tomorrow. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Um, in the postgame news conference after the Washington State-Oregon game, Dan Lanning was asked about the officiating. Remember, they lost a down. They lost a down in that game. Had Washington State punt the ball, had to bring it back, give Washington State another down. Dan Lanning was asked about the officiating. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to getting some explanations on some of those. You know, I hate to see it come down to calls like that. We have to do a better job, obviously, um, of coaching that on our side of the ball, but I'm anxious to look at the film and get the interpretation on, on some of those uh, plays at the end. You know, we can't lose our composure and give uh, an extended drive. We're, we're about to be in a great situation. We get a, a late personal foul. That can never happen. We can't be that team. You know, it, it almost cost us, and we're lucky it didn't. And we're going to learn from it. I can promise you that. Um, you know, that being said, I, I, there's a couple of odd things that happened today um, that I'm looking forward to hearing explanations on. Dan Lanning, never seen it before. Never seen him lose a down. Jake Dickert, coach at Washington State, same game. I just want to open up with a statement. Um, you know, first off, I I appreciate the work and uh, how hard it is to officiate college football. Okay, I, I think this is a complicated game, playing it, played at warp speed, and I think uh, anytime you know that happens, mistakes can occur. I think those mistakes have been acknowledged. Um, you know, this situation in the game, it affected the game, but it didn't determine the outcome of the game. Okay, and I think that's an important distinction. Uh, Oregon won the game. We don't accept any excuses. I believe that makes you a weaker competitor, right? So uh, we acknowledge that. I, I do hope the NCAA looks at the rule, right, to potentially have the ability to go back to play second down, right, because it does affect how we sequence that. But, uh, you know, based on the protocol, that was the down that we were afforded. Um, we have expressed all of our concerns uh, to the league office, okay, and we have confidence uh, that the league office will address these issues, and I just have no further comment about it, and, and we're moving on. Jake Dickert didn't want to talk any more about it. How about Lincoln Riley after the Arizona-USC game? Remember in that one, they lost six seconds. You know, I feel two ways about it. Um, the officiating was, was really poor tonight, um, but we still should have won the game. Like, that's, that's part of road football, and that's part of football in general. You're going to have some nights where – the calls don't go your way, and um, you know they, they certainly did not tonight. That was him after the Utah game. My bad. He was complaining then about some, uh, you know, uh, roughing the passer calls. USC also kind of got hosed at the, at the end of the Arizona game uh, as they approached the end of the first half. Remember that one? Uh, Williams is going to have to do this very quickly, way down the field for Rice, and Rice has got it with five seconds inside the 10. 
dressing up to be ready when the ball is spotted. They can't spike it. That's what they're signaling for Williams to do. And the clock was started prematurely there. The clock was started. And that, this is crazy. This is chaos. I, I believe that clock was started prematurely. But we'll pause here and see how this gets unfurled. Unfurled it wasn't. Pac-12 officiating under fire. Is it really worse in the Pac-12 than other places? And what, what could you hear from the conference tomorrow that would make you feel better about it? Roy's in Portland. Roy, lead us off. Hey, John, man. Um, you know, I don't expect the refs to do USC any favors on this game, man. I think they're going to – I think they're like nothing more than to punish USC and keep them off the playoffs because mm. uh, they're going to the Big Ten. That's what I think. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, I was watching a, a Big Ten Michigan versus Illinois, and the refs just totally – Michigan should have lost that game. It was a total. It was a total blown call. I don't know if you can go and look at that. The, the call was so obvious that it should have been called against Michigan. But if they would have called it, Michigan would have lost the game. They were trailing Illinois. I think these refs, they want teams in or out the, the playoffs. They're going to look the other way. They're not going to make certain calls. You do have certain favorites. I think like the top, like I would say for years, Alabama gets all. If you play Alabama in the SEC, you've known for years that they never call pass interference on Alabama's DB. Never. It's blatant, obvious pass interference. But they never call it on Alabama. It's known through the SEC. Alabama's defense, you might not even say nothing because they just, the ref's not going to call pass interference on <laughs> So, I so, mean, this is just it's part of the game. But I will say, Pac-12 football has been the most enjoyable football in the country this year. It has been some great games. I mean, better than the SEC. SEC, we know Georgia, we, we better than everybody else, so it's not fun to watch. But Pac-12 <laughs> games have been great. Because you never, it's in the Pac-12, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's been great. And I hate to see USC and UCLA leave for the Big Ten because I think with with Lincoln Riley in there, and I think it could be some great football in the future. But I, I don't think the UCLA-USC thing will eventually work out in four years, I think they'll come back. I agree. Because when the travel, when they get, you know, it, it looks good on paper with the money, but when you get the nuts and bolts of things, I don't, it's not going to work, man. Yeah, I, I think. just too much, and it's not going to work. Yeah, I think when they see the bags under the eyes of the athletes in non-revenue generating sports, like baseball and softball and, uh, and volleyball, they're going to go, you know, I don't know if this is worth it. Mark's in Portland. Mark, what do you got? Well, first of all, we don't want them back. <laughs> Once they leave, we shouldn't take them back. But I think the officiating, when in the other leagues, because I don't know if I've ever seen an uh, officiating crew forget a play I know. and then decide after they ran a play or two to come back and start over again. I, I don't even, Is that legal? Is that what's in the, the official's book? Because <laughs> I've never heard of that. But it's, you know, I always say that you, you – you win games despite the officials, but I, I don't think I've seen a Pac-12 year this year that was as close as, you know, five. Uh, we were one win from Oregon State beating USC, and I got a question for you and your panel. How would they have broke that tiebreaker up if, if the Beavers would have beat USC? You'd have four teams tied at seven and two. So that's another thing. I, I like the two divisions. John, I don't like this. 
Yeah, because I there's three teams that were seven and two. Quite frankly, I think the Huskies were playing the best. So I don't even know the tiebreakers and how they determine it. But the refs become a big factor when when the teams are as close as they were this year, and it definitely it it definitely probably made a difference. Yeah, there were uh, there there are a multitude of tiebreakers that we could get to, but but Utah essentially used a tiebreaker to get to Vegas. They won that three-team tiebreaker with uh, against Oregon and uh, ultimately Washington. Jerry's in Happy Valley. Jerry, what do you got? Well, first of all, if they're going to be leaving, I'm talking about USC, and then coming back, you should just treat that like a non-qualified distribution where they get a 10% early withdrawal penalty and <laughs> everything comes due tax-wise when they come back, if they get to come back. Yeah, secondly, I like that. Secondly, when you were talking about the uh, uh, the ways at which they are or are not awarded, quote-unquote, uh, the uh, various games and playoffs, there's a lot of people throughout the work world, and I'm not, you know, kind of trying to beat up union or non-union or any of that kind of stuff. It's just that when you have a system that is really uh, not awarding performance but is based just on sort of a, t- a tenureized or an unearned in terms of performance yeah. seniority, then that's just not a formula for success in that particular arena. And the third thing is when we're talking about uh, calls that are made I don't understand what tools they can and can't use. For example, if there was like a first down, a ball misplaced, then the officials, then the commentators clearly can see it. Everybody and their dog has got ultra-high-definition TV and replay angles to look at, and so do the officials to look at why do they then replace the ball stupidly uh, and not use those tools yeah. that they have. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I think they have a lot of tools at their disposal that they don't use. And I also think, like, the ultimate – look, I've been in the replay command center, and people keep saying, like, even when they go to replay, there's a problem. I've been in the command center. I've spent a, a, an entire Saturday in the replay command center in downtown San Francisco. I sat with Bill Richardson. I sat with Woody Dixon, who used to be the supervisor of officials. I sat with Leo Ruth, who was a – uh, replay um, supervisor, and I sat with the spotters. I sat with, uh, uh, you know, Mike Garcia, who uh, was an Oregon State grad and worked at Colorado and is a guy that, um, you know, is in charge of the replay. I watched them operate. I don't think there's a conspiracy. I do think that they're a little bit hamstrung and that some of the stadiums, they only had six camera views and some they had 12. And I was like, uh, how is that a thing? Like, I didn't know that was a thing. And so I reported on that. And then I left my experience there going, gosh, these guys are, are like, you know, they're trying to get it right. And, you know, I do think there's a breakdown in protocol between the official officiating team on the field, the replay team that's in the stadium, and the replay team that's in San Francisco. I think there's problems. There's communication issues. There's problems. Are we seeing the same thing? Do we have the same amount of views that other stadiums have? There's obvious problems. I would feel better about the mistakes that are made if all of the system was tight. Like if the system's tight, if your car, if you're changing your oil, if you're gassed up, if you're maintaining your vehicle and it still breaks down, you go, hey, stuff happens. Sometimes the car breaks down. 
But if you're not changing your oil, if you're not taking care of your vehicle, you're not doing the annual maintenance yourself or taking it into the, you know, the quick lane at Gresham Ford or wherever you go, um, and the car breaks down, you got to wonder what more you could have done. And that's where I'm at with Pac-12 officiating and George Klyovkov. Jace Coburn is the head men's basketball coach at Portland State. They have two wins this season over Oregon State. I'm bringing him on the show next. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I don't know if you noticed, but I noticed Portland State this season, the men's basketball team, beat Oregon State early in the season. Not a fluke, because Portland State did it again uh, for a second time. Two games against Oregon State, two wins. Uh, Portland State uh, playing a home basketball game tonight at 7 o'clock. Saturday, they are home against Air Force at 1 o'clock. So if you're looking for a basketball game to go to, Jace Coburn's team is playing and playing well. He's joining us now. Hey, what's that like? What's that like when you're playing an in-state game against a Pac-12 team? I mean, it's a great opportunity uh, for our team to uh, get to show how hard we've been working and what we've been doing over here and and uh, really proud of our guys' effort uh, throughout the whole week. Um, you know, but, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a fun opportunity and uh, – we cut it loose and, and uh, had a lot of fun. I have to think your guys uh, celebrate a little bit. You got two wins over Oregon State in eight days. How big a deal is that for your guys? Yeah, I, it was great. Um, you know, it was the first time Portland State had ever beaten Oregon State, um, you know, in, in men's basketball. And so uh, to be able to do it twice, uh, to repeat history twice was pretty cool um so you know who knows if we'll ever get to play oregon state twice in, in a season this was pretty rare um so i don't know if, if we'll ever get the chance to play them twice again in a season so uh this team might hold on to that forever so uh but yeah it was it was it was a great time you don't start playing big sky conference games till really the end of the year you're at sacramento state to open conference play on new year's eve but you have about, what, six or seven games here before you get there. What do you want to accomplish before Big Sky play opens? I think for us, the thing I've been telling our team every day is that we just have to focus on us and, and get better every single day, no matter who we're playing or if it's a game or a practice. And Because um, at the end of the day, we want to be playing our best basketball uh, in March. So, you know, it's important for us to, to continue to take a, a step every single day um, and not waste a day um, so we can reach our eventual goal. Coach, uh, you know, we watched you last season sort of peak at the end of the year, played some good basketball. What's the what's the art or the science of getting your team to play well when you need it playing well, which is really towards the meaty part of the season and then possible conference tournament time? Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge for everybody, right? Um, and, and we've been really good at that at Portland State ever since I've been here, even when I was an assistant coach. Um, we've been really good at that at, at – um, you know, peaking at the right time, um, you know, and, and a lot of it comes down to we play a lot of really good non-conference uh, teams, and that helps us get ready for conference play and helps us figure out a lot of things about our team and, and uh, just just keeping a one-day-at-a-time view um, all the time and not looking too far ahead. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely something that, that uh, we've always tried to do here um, and we will continue to do so. All right. You know, I'm uh... – 
looking at tonight's game, it'll be Portland Bible College at Portland State, 7 o'clock at the Viking Pavilion. Now, this is a game you should win, correct? Like, this this is not, this is kind of a tune-up game for the rest. Can I say that? You can't say that to your guys, though. No, no. I I think I told, you know, during shoot-around today, I told our team that, you know, it, it doesn't matter who we're playing, um, whether it's Oregon State, Portland Bible, Air Force, whoever, we just need to focus on ourselves and get better every day. Like, because you played Gonzaga just a few, like, a few days ago. <laughs> And now you're playing Portland Bible College. No disrespect to Portland Bible College, but that's a big swing. It's 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 definitely a big swing. It's and you know what? It, it'll be a good test. And like, you know, the the other day uh, before we played Oregon State the second time, I thought we're we're going to find out a lot about our team tonight. Um, because are we just satisfied with beating Oregon State once? Or are we going to go for it all and get them twice? And so, um, and we came out you know, in the first couple minutes and got up 14-1 against them. And, and I, I think I had my answer right in the first couple minutes of uh, that we weren't going to be satisfied with just beating them once. Goal for you in this season. You got your feet on the ground. You, you know, got yourself established last year. What's the goal for you personally as a coach this year? I think, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's like most teams. Everybody wants to get to the NCAA tournament, win the conference and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I just want to be – the best coach I can for our team, um, you know, and, and uh, help our guys reach their goals, whether it's team goals, individual goals, or whatever it might be. Um, but I, ultimately, I, I, I'm in this business um, to help people and help them achieve their dreams and goals. It's, it's nothing about me or, or what I really want to do. Um, I just want to show these guys that if you put in enough hard work and work towards, work towards it, that you can achieve it. So um, that's, that's really my goal, that I, I just want to be – you know, the the best coach I can be for our team. I look at your roster, I see, you know, you got guys from out of state, you got Florida represented, Arizona, California. Uh, what do you want the makeup to the ros- of the roster to be in a given year? What are you comfortable with sort of as far as the recruiting footprint? Yeah, I mean, we got a lot of new guys. Um, we got 10 new guys on our team this season. Um, you know, as far as where they're from, I mean, obviously we love to recruit Oregon. We have Cameron Parker um from Oregon and and uh, we love to and we've had Khalid Thomas last season and some other guys along the way but um you know I mean obviously we want to recruit the Northwest really hard but uh when it comes down to it we want to assemble the best team that we can um we're not looking to assemble you know maybe an all-star team or the best most talented team um we want to we want to make sure that all those pieces fit like a puzzle and so, um, you know, and, and I think we've done that so far this season up to this point, um, you know, of, of guys playing to their strengths and, and our, our staff and our assistant coaches did a great job recruiting uh, to, to try and put this puzzle together. So been very fortunate this year that, that uh, it's worked out like that. Points in the paint against Oregon State, it caught my eye. I, the first half of this last matchup, you beat them 22-6 to six in the paint. You don't often see mm-hmm. a Big Sky team beating a Pac-12 team that way. What, did that say more about you guys or more about them? Uh, I'd say more about us. Um, you know, we're going to be a tough physical team. Um, we practice hard every single day. We work on defense every single day, probably to the point where the guys on the team are like, man, can we work on something else? But, um, you know, we're going to be a defensive-minded team and a tough and physical-minded team. Um, you know, and, and one of the ways, like you said, that, that it's, it's measured is points through the paint. And uh, so, you know, we're always going to be an attacking, most aggressive team out there. 
um, or at least try to be, um, you know, and that's kind of our style. I mean, we're, we're a hard-nosed, tough physical team. Now, Chase Coburn is our guest, men's basketball coach, Portland State. One of the things that they're talking about nationally with the NCAA and the NCAA tournament is taking away the automatic bids for some of the smaller conferences. I think it would be a cry and shame if the Big Sky didn't have an automatic bid into the NCAA tournament. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that, I, I mean, without knowing too much about it, because, you know, we, a lot of times we just focus on what we got going on, um, that'd be, that, that wouldn't be good, you know. Um, you know, because our guys, you know, every single day feel like they have the same chance as a lot of other teams in the country. So, um, like I said, I, I don't know too much about all of that uh, just because we're focused on ourselves and getting better. But, uh, but yeah, that, that, that wouldn't be good, I, I wouldn't think, for uh, anybody, especially when it comes to March Madness, because everybody loves an underdog and everybody loves the underdog story. I mean, look what's happened over March Madness over the years where an underdog team goes on a run and upsets people, and, and people get interested in that. People like that. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't think that would be a great idea. Yeah, and I think one of the things is that the larger conferences say, hey, look, uh, look in baseball. Ole Miss was the fifth, uh, you know, the, the final team led into the baseball tournament, and they won it all. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, why those are important bids. They should go to the big conference. Well, I feel like if that's the case, why not just add another six teams to the tournament field and or add another eight teams to the tournament field? Don't lock people out because of it. Right. I, I mean, and, and the other thing, too, is is like you, you can see every day when you look through the scores in NCAA basketball of uh, – you know, a, a, we'll say smaller team, a smaller team beat a bigger team. Um, it happens every single day. And so, and that's, that's part of the fun of college basketball is that anybody can beat anybody on any given night. What do you think coaching is about? Like aside from the wins and losses, where, where are the victories that you're, you're really after? Relationships first and foremost. Um, you know, I, I, I want our players and our, our team to know that there's not a person that's going to care more for them than me. Um, I take that as a personal challenge, um, you know, and, and support and, and being a good role model and a good mentor for um, our student athletes. I, I think that's such a huge part. And, you know, me growing up, I, I had great mentors and great role models, um, whether it was my parents or my coaches or whoever. Um, so I was very fortunate to, to have great coaches. And, uh, you know, I was actually just talking to my college coach uh, a couple days ago about about a play we wanted to run against Oregon State that I ran as a player 18 years ago. And so it was it was pretty cool to be able to, to have those conversations. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's what coaching is about, more so than wins and losses. Um, it's the relationship part that uh, really drives me every single day. Now, I, I was telling uh, Shante Leggins the other day that I think we could have a four-team tournament in this state. We probably already have. You've eliminated Oregon State. I, I actually think UP would beat Oregon right now if they played in, in the current state. Uh, I, I think it would be you guys in, in UP in the final. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't seen much of Oregon, and I haven't seen Portland since we played them. And, uh, you know, I mean, we've been, you know, once we kind of play Portland, we go our, our separate directions a little bit. And I know they were on the other side of the PK bracket. And, and uh, you know, we're in different conferences and things like that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously they're, they're playing well and, and, uh, he does a great job coaching them and they have, they have their system in place and they do what they do. And, and, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm nothing but respect towards those guys and, and them as a team. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're both on our own journeys and, 
and uh, trying to be the best version for our teams. I like when you guys play. Like I like that, that Oregon State scheduled you. I like that you and UP play. You played it early in the year, and I think mm-hmm. you know, Oregon ought to schedule you as well. I mean, I, I rather than give those games to, you know, other colleges that are outside of the footprint. Let's take care of the colleges inside this state. I'd like to see Oregon play you guys. Yeah, you know, it's kind of scheduling is always tricky with, uh, you know, with dates and who you're playing and where you're playing and all that stuff. So a bunch of stuff has to fall into place. But, um, yeah, it's it's always a great opportunity for us to be able to play Portland and Oregon State and Oregon, um, you know. And, and uh, you know, I know our guys really enjoy playing those games too. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, every chance we get to play any of those teams, we'll always want to try and play them. Yeah, like Oregon played Utah or is playing Utah Valley coming up uh, in December. I'd like to see him play Portland State instead. That's just me. All right, Jace Coburn tonight. Good luck to you against uh, Portland Bible. And uh, give him hell and uh, go win that game. Appreciate it. I, let me say this also real yeah. quick. Is we're on Saturday at 1 o'clock, and we're doing a teddy bear toss. Um, you know, so bring a teddy bear. Uh, the the uh, teddy bears are getting donated um, to a toy drive, and, and uh, we were all little kids at one point. So, um, you know, even more so than showing up and supporting us, even though we would love that, uh, there, we got a bigger cause going on on Saturday. So would really appreciate it if uh, you could come out and donate a teddy bear to all these little kids. I love that. Saturday at the Viking Pavilion, uh, Portland State will – is it 3 o'clock uh, tip? Is that right? Well, one o'clock. One o'clock, One o'clock tip. Yep. One p.m. tip on December third. Uh, bring a teddy bear. Jace Coburn. Good luck to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having. Good stuff from Jace Coburn. Uh, did I really tell him to give Portland Bible hell? <laughs> did I do that, Stephen? Yeah, you did. <laughs> as a guy who's as a guy who's played against Portland Bible, Multnomah Bible. You know what? I take offense. Sorry. Of I'm sorry. Apologies to Portland Bible. <laughs> As I said it, I went. Wait, did I just tell him to give Portland Bible? At least give him hell. At least you weren't like in the church or something at the time when you said it. I know, I know. But there you have it, Jace Coburn, Portland State. Look, go support him. The women's basketball team tomorrow at Portland State. Chelsea Gregg, the coach at uh, Portland State with the women, they are uh, they're having a camp exceptional night, and so. If you uh, want to go see women's basketball tomorrow night at the Viking Pavilion, they're playing Fresno State, uh, you can go to uh, the uh, Bald Face Truth Foundation Twitter page, at BFD Foundation. There, there is a link there for free ticket. So grab a free ticket, and you can take your kid to the game tomorrow night, uh, courtesy of Portland State's relationship with the BFT Foundation. Uh, I think they're just trying to get some people in the building, get some enthusiasm, but good on them. I want you to leave it here. Our big splash is coming up. Judah, did you hear me tell him to give Portland Bible hell? John, yeah, you're going to have to go to church uh, a couple of times this weekend to atone. No, I was just joking with Coach uh, after he got off with you. He's like, did I hear him right? Did he say, go give him hell. Go give Portland Bible College hell. I just It's one of those moments where I'm like, did I just say that? It's funny. It's good All stuff. All right. Big splash coming up. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Pac-12 championship game is Friday, Las Vegas. I will join this show as a guest. Uh, Judah Newby, uh, I think you're going to be guest hosting Friday. Is that correct? 
Uh, Peter Sampson will be guest hosting Friday. Yes, I'll be in the uh, I'll be in the chair Thursday. Okay, so you're in tomorrow. Peter's in Friday. Uh, I will join on Friday's show from Las Vegas, uh, probably from the stadium, to set the scene. Does it concern either one of you guys that the Pac-12 is saying, hey, we're going to have our best officials there, except you can't go two years in a row, it's not a meritocracy, there won't be any first-year officials. Like, just get the best officials at the stadium. That can't be a George idea, is it? I don't think so. I think it's a Larry idea. Hold held over Larry. I do have a kind of a question. First of all, I blame you for all of this. If you weren't okay. like a diligent, good reporter, we wouldn't have had the Woody Dixon stuff uh, come to light and all that. So come on now, uh, just let sleeping uh, Woody's lie. Yeah, I leave that leave that alone, for, Larry. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll never I'll never forget. Uh, you know, George Kofkov when he got in in the seat as the new commissioner of the Pac-12. Um, it's pretty clear that he read a lot of the stuff that I wrote about Larry uh, because he, he would make offhand comments about like, well, I don't want you to know, you know, like I don't want this out there. Uh, so he was it was evident. But I was going through some old paper, old piles of like work notes and paper and throwing some things away that I don't need anymore. And I came upon the uh, the the in, instant replay manual that I obtained that had the protocol for instant replay that Larry Larry Scott tried to say did not exist. I had it in my damn hands and he was like, No, we don't have it we don't have a written protocol. I was like, Yeah, but what's this? And then I published it the next day. Larry didn't like that. Dude. So that's what it comes back to for me. Like you think this happens in the SEC? No. Where Sankey is claiming we don't have a procedure of how to referee our stuff and then Ross Dellinger publishes it? No. Okay. There's like, it's not a question. It's not, there's evidence that historically the topic of officiating in general, and by the way, what I really realized is officiating goes well beyond the gentleman on the field. You know, you miss a pass interference. I get that. If that was the only thing we were talking about, no one would have a problem to your original point. It's all the ancillary stuff. And it's all really what Larry and Woody left in their damn wake. And... That is really still where it comes down down to for me. Like, George has a lot to overcome here. He's not starting from, you know, a zero, a level playing field when it comes to officiating and the perception. He's starting from being down 31 nothing. He's TCU in the Alamo Bowl against Oregon <laughs> six years ago. You know, they won the game with a backup quarterback somehow, but that's the position that he's in, and I hope that he strikes that tone tomorrow. I hope he does too, and I hope they have some kind of answer for what I hope. I hope they've just been thinking about it. Like I, do, I want to give them a little bit of a pass on, you know, they've been dealing with UCLA and USC, they've been dealing with a football season. There's meteorites, like there's some big picture, twenty thousand feet uh, things that they've been dealing with that are heavy issues. But I hope that they've given some thought to officiating. Stephen, does it surprise you? that it's not a meritocracy when it comes to who will be officiating the game. It doesn't surprise me. You know, it seems like a real Pac-12 thing to do. And yeah. that's just how it was with Larry Scott. And, you know, hopefully it gets better. I don't have a lot of faith that it does just because it, I, I've been burned so many times by the Pac-12. It just doesn't make any sense why you wouldn't want to put the best refs out there, whether it's back-to-back -back years or first. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you just get your best players out there, get the best refs out there. That's, that's what you got to do. We're going to get the best guests on this show, 
including Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated, who's going to be joining us here in just a moment to talk about you know his his reaction to the college football playoff, the championship games this weekend, the Rose Bowl fiasco, all that and more. Jaden Grant, Oregon State football player, will join us at 4:30. Be here. You got the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. You want to know what's going on in college football? Ross Dellinger's got you covered. At Ross Dellinger on Twitter, he writes about college football for Sports Illustrated and SI Now. Great follow, knows what the hell's going on. That's why we're bringing him on the show. He also lives in the Eastern time zone, so he's kind enough to join us at, like, you know, I have two younger daughters, one daughter in college, but the younger kids at about 7 o'clock, like our time locally, we're in wind-down time. What's going on in the Dellinger household at 7 o'clock on a lovely Wednesday? How you doing, Ross? Uh, I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a long day. It's been a long day. It's been a long few days, it's been a long <laughs> week. Uh, but uh, that's the time of year it is, man. Silly, I know. silly season. You got the coaching hires, the coaching fires, bunch of arrests. People are getting arrested now. And it's like, um, it's just really wild in there in that you've got like the normal flow of, Hey, Tuesday, here comes the CFP rankings. What did you think when the rankings came out last night? Uh, what were your immediate takeaways? Oh, it was about what I thought, you know. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, the big focus was Alabama and Ohio State and uh, where they would be compared to one another. Five, five, we, we saw five Ohio State, six Alabama, but I think most people would have expected that. You know, um, uh, you know, and then the other only other really thing was were they going to flip Michigan and Georgia at the top? You know, and they didn't do that either, which I didn't expect. So it was, it was pretty kind of pretty boring, kind of exactly what uh, what we all expected. Where are you on sort of the debate around the teams that have to play a conference championship game versus maybe those that are sitting outside the top four that could benefit from a loss inside the top four? Um, well, I, you know, I think the bottom line is if, uh, if USC loses, then Ohio State is, is, is in the playoff. Um, I, you know, I think that if TCU and Michigan and Georgia lose, I just feel like they're in, they're, they're still in, um, I, I, maybe the seating is different, obviously, uh, but if any of those teams lose, I feel like they're in. So I think the big thing to watch, you know, is will USC lose? Uh, you know, if they if they win, they're in. If they lose, I think I think you'll have an 11 and one non-champion uh, in the field and a second Big Ten team in the field, which I'm sure no one will have a problem with, John. <laughs> yeah, everyone's gonna love that. I I think the one thing we can agree on is we have a system that that will give us belly aching at the end no matter what. Um, I've seen you kind of kick around some expansion ideas. If, you know, if, if and when they go to the 12 teams or when they go to the 12-team uh, tournament, uh, how does that change this time of year for college football fans and teams? 
Um, hello? Hey, John? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry about that, man. You broke up on your question. Yeah, no, you know, if they go – when they go to 12 and they expand from 4 to yeah. 12, how does that change kind of this time of year for, for the college teams, for the fans, and for the game in general? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I I, uh, I think that, first of all, right now we go into this last weekend, obviously, with at the very most six teams, right, uh, in contention for the, for the playoff. Um, I think – you know, we would go in the last week or two of a season with in a 12-team playoff with 15, 18, maybe 20 teams still alive to make the playoff. So you just incorporate, right, more teams. You incorporate more people. Um, and I think that's good. I think that's great for college football. Um, you know, one, one line that is really interesting uh, when they were expanding the playoff um, – is and I'm going to read it to you because it's in kind of the story that I actually was working on. Uh, you know, most NCAA postseason fields include at least 10% of a sport's total teams. The postseason, you know, baseball, basketball, softball. It's roughly 10 to 12% of the total number of teams. College football is about 3%, and and that's just too low. And there's just not enough opportunities, even if it's the same teams that win. There's just not a lot of opportunities. Um, and I think this will this will uh, create more opportunities, right? It'll involve more people, more fan bases. I think it'll energize what we've seen is kind of becoming a little stale um, of a CFP, right? I mean, we've had, I think it's something like almost 80%, uh, uh, John, 80% of uh, the spots in the CFP uh, since it started eight years ago. Uh, have been accounted for, for basically the same six teams. I think eighty percent of, of, of playoff spots have been account have been uh, taken up by six teams. That's that's incredible. I mean, that's, that number's got to be bigger. And in a twelve team playoff, we'll we'll have it. Ross Dellinger with us, Sports Illustrated. You wrote about the Rose Bowl, and I, I think it's really interesting because you've been on this. What is going on with the Rose Bowl? Anything new there? What What do you think happens with the Rose Bowl as the playoff does expand? Well, we're we're getting close. It seems like. I mean, this is the deadline they gave them basically to the today, the end of day today, which out on the West Coast we're we're approaching in the next hour and a half or so. Um, so, uh, you know, I I would think they'll they'll have a decision. The Rose Bowl either we're in or we're out, and if they're out if they agree, if they do not um, amend their contract, then the CFP will be delayed. Expansion will be delayed at least two years. We won't expand until 26 probably instead of 24. So if they're in, we're spanning in 24. Um, so the Rose Bowl could cost quite a bit, right? It could cost a lot. Um, it you know uh, it could cost 450 million dollars. Um, that's the additional revenue that college football would get. Uh, off of the 24 and 25 expanded playoffs. It would cost 16 extra playoff spots, right, opportunities in 24 and 25. Um, and, gosh, John, I mean, it would cost its own partner. Uh, the Pac-12 needs the playoff as much or, or if not more than any other Power 5 league. Um, and so I just don't understand this you know they, they they've uh, i know they have their traditional date and time and they want to keep it and they want guarantees for their traditional date and time to stay the same 
uh, in future playoffs beyond 2025. But here's the thing. There is no playoff beyond 2025. One does not exist. All we have is a format, but we don't have anything else. There's no contract. There's been no finalization of details. Um, so as a CFP official uh, told me when talking about this subject, he said the Rose Bowl is trying to tie our hands in something that does not exist. And you just can't make guarantees on something that doesn't exist. The, the, the Rose Bowl is, in a way, um, holding the CFP hostage. Is there a possibility they get shut out, that the CFP just goes, hey, you know what, we don't need the drama, you're not willing to work with us, everybody else is, we'll find, you know, we'll create a new bowl game that will take your place? Yeah, I mean, that, that has been suggested. Uh, you know, I think a lot of CFP officials thought that the Rose Bowl would eventually come around um, to amending the contract. Um, and they kept on not doing it and not doing it, and then a deadline was put on them, and another deadline was put on them, and then we have this deadline here. They, they literally, you know, had 18 months. That's when this playoff proposal dropped. So I think there's a lot of frustration, and it's kind of come to a head the last couple of weeks. And there's been certainly high-ranking CFP officials who have suggested, hey, we'll just replace them. You know, if they're not going to expand or they're not going to agree and cooperate and expand early and let us expand early. And then starting in 2026 with a new contract, well, we might have a new six bowl. Uh, it could be a creative bowl in SoFi Stadium, brand-new stadium in L.A. Maybe it's Allegiant Stadium. Maybe it's a bowl game created there in Vegas. Or maybe it's a legacy bowl that we already have, like the Gator Bowl or the Citrus Bowl or Houston Bowl, uh, Music City. Um, you know, uh, that has been suggested lately, and I think it has been suggested out of frustration. Ross Dellinger with us, Sports Illustrated. Follow him on Twitter, at Ross Dellinger. Ross, the, uh, it's hiring cycle. Do you, do you have a hire that really intrigues you, that you know just jumps off the page? I mean, Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State, or Hugh Freeze, or uh, you know, Trent Dilfer even getting a job. Is, is there a hire that you go, hey, this is really going to be interesting? Well, I, uh, I think that, um, <laughs> yeah, Dilfer is, is an interesting one down there at UAB, something that kind of broke last night. And pretty big stunner, and it came out of nowhere. He's been a high school coach for about four years, Trent Dilfer has. Um, and so that's going to be interesting to watch. He's 38-8 and eight as a high school coach. He won a state title last year and competing for another one actually this weekend. Um, so he's had success certainly, but obviously hasn't coached very long. Um that's one I'm definitely watching. You know, I think the biggest hire, the best hire so far was Wisconsin plucking Luke Fickle out of Cincinnati. Um, you know, a lot of teams tried to get Fickle over the last couple of years. And he's kind of been waiting for that good Big Ten job. He's a Big Ten guy, and um, I think he wanted that good Big Ten job, you know, maybe in Ohio State or Michigan. But, hey, Wisconsin's right behind them, and I think he thought, hey, what the heck, this is a good time to leave in a lot of ways, you know. Cincinnati's heading to the Big 12. We kind of reached the ceiling last year with the Bearcats going to the playoff and all that. Um, so I think that's probably the best hire. But certainly they all have their intrigue. The one in Auburn, obviously, Hugh Freeze, uh, uh, is, is, is certainly one to watch.
Ross, the, uh, the, the report that Deion Sanders was offered Colorado, what's the right place for Deion? And, and uh, you know, if I'm Colorado, I'm not offering that job unless he's taken it. Yeah, you know, Dion is a different cat, and uh, he's going to say what he wants to say when he wants to say it and how. Uh, and I don't think a lot of coaches would publicly reveal they were offered jobs um, right in the middle of negotiations for that job, potentially. So very kind of bizarre there. Um, I, I think that uh, probably it's a good example of uh, why some ADs probably in the past have not wanted to hire Dion, you know. Uh, when you get Dion, you get a celebrity, you know, and again, he, he does he does what he wants. He tweets what he wants. Um, you know, he, he's not somebody that an, an athletic director can control in any way um, and, uh, and, and man, or even manage. You know, he's got his own marketing team, his management team, agents, and all that stuff. So it, it, anywhere he goes is going to be interesting to watch and going to be interesting to watch the relationship between him and his administration, his bosses, quote-unquote. Um, you know, I don't know that he takes Colorado. He, uh, you know, I think he's in the mix down there at South Florida as well. It would really surprise me if a sitting SWAT coach passes on a Power 5 job offer. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, would be, it would be surprising. Uh, Honestly, it'd be surprising if he, he passed on South Florida, too. Um, so something tells me he'll be on the move uh, this weekend. Now, you mentioned Dilfer. Uh, Dion's a great example of this. I think Kenny Dillingham, and, uh, you know, I even think that Dan Lanning's an example of programs now hiring the recruiter and putting the recruiter in charge. Is is this a trend that we will see correct back to teachers and coaches being in charge and a CEO of a program, or do you think the recruiters are here to stay as the lead? Recruiting and just getting talent, especially in the era of NIL and all that, I think we're here to stay uh, of a coach who is a recruiter, motivator, a personality, a big name, a celebrity type. I think we will be seeing more and more of that. You know, you can hire coaches. Yeah, you have so much money and so many different staff positions to hire coaches to do the X's and O's and the schematics that, what you need at the top, maybe at a lot of places, is a guy that can attract that attract players, attract talent. And I think that's what it's all about right now. And I do not think that's going anywhere. Ross Dellinger, I appreciate you. Get back to work. I'll let you go. Thank you for joining us, bringing us your all expertise. Done. All right, you take care. Thanks. All right, there he is, Ross Dellinger, uh, joining us to talk about the scene in college football. Rose Bowl uh, on the clock right now. We'll find out what the Rose Bowl is going to do. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up, uh, we will talk to Jaden Grant. If you missed the news earlier today, Oregon quarterback Jay Butterfield is jumping in the transfer portal. Uh, he is leaving the University of Oregon, got a college degree. He's got three years of eligibility left. He is in the portal and on his way somewhere else. Um, 
Ty Thompson. We got any word on Ty Thompson yet, guys? Ty Thompson going to get in the portal, too? Not that I've seen, but uh, I am frantically looking and searching the uh, interwebs. I think, uh, you know, I don't think they can officially jump in the portal until... Friday? I have to look at that. I thought it was Monday. But, uh, you know, I'll look at that again. But, guys, what happens if Bo Nix says, I don't want to play in the bowl game for Oregon? And Butterfield jumps in the portal. And um, and Ty Thompson jumps in the portal. Uh, it leaves Oregon in a precarious position. They would have um, uh, a uh, preferred walk-on or two to choose from, but nobody with any game experience and, frankly, nobody that is equipped to play quarterback right now in their system. Um, it's really interesting. I think Ty Thompson probably would wait. To see if you know, but does, would you want to start a bowl game if you were Ty Thompson? Uh, yeah. Lot to lose, a lot of downside. There is some a, upside though. There is some downside, but I think if he had any sense that Bo Nix was leaving, whether to go to a different school or the NFL, and I'm Ty Thompson, I would want to start that. I would want to start that game because I think, like you said, there is upside of him really having a good game and then being the yeah. future quarterback for Oregon. Portal opens December fifth, so it is Monday okay. through January eighteenth. That's the portal. That's yeah. the portal tracker. That or the Oregon QB situation is very interesting to watch for this portal. because uh, you're right. Like with Butterfield leaving now, going to the portal, there is those questions of what Bo Nix is gonna do. And Ty Thompson, it's always been kind of thought of, you know, once Bo Nix got the job, he'd be the next in the portal. But you're right, like if Bo Nix has any type of inkling he could be gone, why would you not want to stay if you're Ty Thompson? I think Bo Nix has played his last game at Oregon. I think it, it was the Oregon State game. The Civil War game will be his last game, I think. And just every conversation I've had with him, including the interviews on this show, I've got the impression that he's, even though he's not projected as one of the top quarterbacks in the draft, I just got the feeling that, you know, he's married, he's been to Auburn, he's got college degrees, plural. He was taking a course load at Oregon that included yoga, and, you know, it was the minimum nine units this last uh, term. And I kind of just felt like he's going to take his chances in, with professional football. Maybe he's you know, sticks on a roster, maybe he doesn't, but he's going to take his chances after this season. Could you make a case for Bo Nix to come back? Could you make a case for Bo Nix uh, to uh, return to Oregon? I, I struggle with it because I just don't see – I don't see that he improves his draft position. I think he played about his best football that he could possibly play this year. Well, I struggle with it now, now that Dillingham's gone. I think if Dillingham was still back at Oregon, I could see a scenario where Bo Nix is back at Oregon. But with, with OC gone, I, I'm with you. I don't know how much he can really improve that stock or just really you know improve that Oregon status of where they were this year. 45 days after the beginning of the championship selection. So it's selection Sunday for the college football playoff. Then the portal opens on Monday, and it is 45 days for you to transfer there. And that is the first window. There's another window that is a 15-day window that is in the first two weeks of May. So May 1 to May 15. Two windows, a total of 60 days. There you go, portal windows. Uh, and, you know, you're going to see massive amounts of activity in the transfer portal. Uh, by the way, the NCAA has voted down the idea that players could be allowed to enter the portal an unlimited amount of times. 
because they think it would create free agency. I got news for them. Free agency is already happening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's in conjunction with the portal. What rules could we bring into effect that would happen um, the uh, that would happen to create oh by the way, that rule, the NCAA entering the portal, unlimited amount of times without penalty, that rule uh, you know, it it got proposed. Like so there were some programs that wanted to have no penalty for, for players to jump in an, an unlimited amount of times. So there you go. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like you shouldn't be able to go into the portal and then just – we don't want free agency, right? But how do you regulate the name, image, likeness world if you're not, if you're not uh, you know, a player? There's no way to regulate that. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't like the idea of no punishment just to enter every single season. But I don't know what the correct answer is either, right? Because I don't I don't want it to be fully professional, like free agency. We're just offering as much money as we can. But I also don't want to put limits on the, on the students to, like, get their money and get all that they can get. So it's a weird situation for me, John. I really don't know. But I'm excited for the transfer portal. Like, it brings a whole new dynamic to college football because, you know, as a guy that watches the Beavers, like – I'm waiting to see who the Beavers go after in the transfer portal, portal at quarterback. Like, I want to see it. I don't feel like they have it on the roster. They need to go out and get somebody in the portal. I'm excited to see who transfers and if Oregon State can get their hands on one of them. So it is a one-time uh, exception. So Bo Nix could not transfer to Arizona State without penalty. So that is a problem. You know, he was able to leave Auburn and go to Oregon. But if he transferred from Oregon to Arizona State, there's a potential that he would have to sit. In order to do that, so you have a one-time transfer window. Jaden Grant's coming up. Oregon State defensive back. What did he see on fourth down and one? Was he anticipating, reacting? Was he was he at all fooled by Bo Nix keeping the football? He didn't look like it on Saturday. And what did that win mean to Oregon State? Jaden Grant joins us next. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on seven fifty the game. Our next guest uh, won a football game over the weekend. Jaden Grant, defensive back, Oregon State, was the tackler on fourth down and one as Bo Nix from Oregon uh, tried to keep it. Jaden Grant was not fooled. Uh, he's a He's been in college for about 15, 16 years. He's got like six degrees. You're not going to fool this guy on fourth down and one. He's joining us now. Uh, let me, let's take, let's go through that play, okay? Because uh, yeah. I watched it unfold, and I said, you didn't look fooled at all. Um, you see it on film. You anticipate it. What's your read there? Well, I mean, they're trying to – It was. I, I knew they were short on that, um, that that running back that made a catch on that third down, so I know it's going to be a, a fourth and short situation. So by the time I looked over for the call, they're already getting ready to almost go. So they knew their call, which means, you know, tempo, fourth and one, got to have a situation. They're going to run a DNA play, you know, their bread and butter, something that, you know, usually would be a win for us to hold them to a yard. But for them in this situation, it was a win for them. And for them, that was the inside zone read. And so um, I was actually supposed to be, you know, a post player, like way 15 yards back. But um, the moment I saw his tempo, I just told the nigga in the corner, just man it up. And uh, I just had a feeling that, that they were going to run it. I had a feeling they were going to pull it because there wouldn't have been anybody there. How good does that feel when you make that tackle, you hear the roar? 
Man, it just felt good because you could feel the momentum shift, you know, in that moment, you know, giving us great field position to go in, at least tie the game up. I think we were down three at that point, you know, early in the fourth quarter. So I was just happy to be able to make that make that play for our offense and uh, put them in good position. And obviously, um, we all know how they capitalized. The, uh, this game, you know, it's it's a rivalry, but you've been full circle. I mean, this is a program that went 2-10 and ten in Jonathan Smith's first year. You've seen some dark times. What is it? What does it feel like to be nine and three and to look around and maybe your regrets are now like, hey, you know, you let one get away against USC or you know could have won at Washington. It, you, you're a contender. How does that feel for you? Man, it's, it's bittersweet because you know we know we're a few plays away of doing something that's never been done here, or uh, at least that's the belief in and in, in, within our program. So it's a bittersweet feeling. I think that um, you know we're definitely happy with the with the win. We know how much it means, you know, not only for us guys, but you know, fan base, the whole entire program. You know, kind of where how our how our program is seen now. You know, with the national TV game, and we didn't have much of those this year either. So um, we just knew it was a big win for the program. But obviously, you know, you always you always reflect and think about the what ifs and or the bad plays, like we always talk about. Never, you know, never what you got done or the good stuff. Yeah, you dwell on the uh, you dwell on the stuff you could have done better. Uh, you guys made some adjustments. Trent Bray, your defensive coordinator, was on the show yesterday. He talked about adjustments that you guys made in the third quarter. What happened with you guys as a defense when you're down 21? It 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 looked like schematically you changed some things, but there may have just been uh, you know just a decision to to stop getting in your own way. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's kind of. I don't think we really changed too much up. Um, we did tweak a, a couple of things here and there, but I mean, overall, I think it's just like you know, it's, it's a long game, and, and you may, if you look at the scoreboard, you'll be discouraged, and you won't, you know, you won't really remember that you have almost 30 full minutes left of play time, you know, to go out there and get your goal accomplished, which is always to win. Um, so for me, the biggest message for me was me personally, and the message I echoed to the team was, you know, I'm going to give you guys all I have to do. The clock kicked double zero, and you know we just all give each other everything we have. You know we may look up and be in a completely different situation by the time this game is over, and you know, that's exactly what happened. Was there a moment where you just kind of felt the the momentum shift in the game? Is it that noticeable when you're playing, or do you uh, is it just play to play as you're out there? Yeah, I would say once we went down 21, um, offense responded great. The very first play, Damian breaking that run. Um, and then, you know, a few more runs after that and punched it in. And then once it was a 14-point game, it was like, okay, we got this. You know, we got this. This, this is our game. And I think so. I think that was the moment when, when Damian broke off that run. Um, just giving defense a little bit of a spark, um, I think that was really the moment. And then I guess that fourth that fourth down was another big one too. Yeah, let's go to the to the stand at the end. They have the ball, you know, they're threatening to – erase the comeback and break your hearts at the end defensively uh you know what does that feel like to you guys they were really putting pressure on you they were going to throw the ball they were coming after you guys uh but it it had to be fun and it also looked like you had you were prepared for that moment yeah there's there was zero panic you know from our side defensively um, you know, our mantra all year has just always been make them snap it again, make them snap it again. Whatever they were going to choose to do, whether they are going to choose to go for it or kick the field or whatever, whatever their decisions were, we were just going to make them snap it again. 
And um, I think you saw that. I think that, you know, we were really poised for being in that situation, how big of a moment it was. I think we kind of, you kind of get more, you know, nervous or whatever looking back on it. Like, oh, dang, that was a situation. You know, that time in the game, like, I was, I was a big stand there on the goal line, nonetheless. Um, but, like, shout out to all the guys up front and all those backers. I mean, they tried to get in that 14-0-L personnel and run it twice and, and stuff them and really gave us a chance, you know, on the back end to be able to make those plays. You get your offense was running the ball. Everyone in the stadium knew you were running the ball. 15 straight runs in the fourth quarter. Average seven yards a carry. As a defensive player, are you so locked into what you have to do that you're not noticing that? Or are you kind of taking a peek at the scoreboard, looking out on the field and going, gosh, we're just carving them up? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you I, – I didn't know the statistic until after the game. Um, I didn't really pay attention to that. But I, like I said, after that, after Damian's long run, I, I could see us driving on them, um, you know, running it and kind of wearing them down, you know, how I'm used to seeing our, our run game wear them down. So um, that, like I said, I think that trans, transitions to a spark on defense. Like, yeah, we got to get the ball into these guys' hands as fast as we possibly can. You know, every time we go back out there, and we we got the stops when we needed to. So it was big. You know, big old big team effort overall. It, you know, it's it's it was fun to watch. It was fun to see the the crowd react to it. Uh, I, you know, I think you guys, you know, the 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 perception afterwards. A lot of people said, "Hey, Oregon blew it." It, but. But I, I think Oregon State won that game. Like, you you know, you, yeah, you had to beat sure. them 21-3 in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I think it would be a disservice. Now, Jonathan Smith uh, is getting some love nationally. People saying what a good coach he is. How important is it for Oregon State to hang on to that guy, Jaden? Um, it's very important for Oregon State to hold on to everybody, you know, in the program. And, um, yeah, Coach Smith, the things that he's done, the culture that he's built, uh, the type of person he is uh, fits perfectly with Corvallis. I don't think that there's a better fit for Corvallis. So, like I said, you know, times the times it is now, it's important that Oregon State keeps everybody. Bowl game. Um, you know, a lot of times you see players who don't play in a bowl game. I got to think Jaden Grant will play in this bowl game. <laughs> and uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, just a lot of stuff that you know I got to get figured out right now. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I had to get figured out to even be able to play in the game um, that nobody even knows about. So just going to take it day by day. Yeah. All right. How much of that can you talk about? Because I know you were banged up, and I know prior to going into the game, you know, I wanted to respect your privacy, but you were out there yeah. on the field. I was really impressed that you made it there and that you played that whole game. <laughs> um, how much do you want to talk yeah. about what you went through to get there? I mean, I, I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to talk about it. I just, I didn't want it. I didn't want it to be known before the game because I didn't want any, you know, attention or anybody, you know, feeling bad for me or, you know, anybody to have any excuses for me or had something went wrong, you know, out there. But um, I mean, now I think I'm pretty comfortable talking about it. All right. So what what was the injury and how long were you in the hospital after the, the game before the Oregon game? So it's kind of a freak injury. Um, freak injury where I took a uh, took a hit to my my kidney and um, basically had some drainage and some leakage from popping a kidney. So um, got the scans and stuff. Everything was negative for the ribs. Went went to the hospital. Um, got the CT scan. Had to stay overnight. And just you know it was some different diagnoses, but ended up getting after that cow game. I think I got surgery like three days later. Well, no, I got surgery that same night to drain my kidney, and then I got another surgery three days later to repair what was damaged. Um, and just by the grace of God and obviously the good doctors, 
uh, Dr. Long here, the urologist in Corvallis, uh, who's one of the best. Um, by the grace of God in him, I was able to come back and, and actually practice the whole week, you know, seven days out of the second surgery and, and play ten days, you know, after the whole thing, which was just crazy to me because, you know, that, that night during the Cal game, I, I was thinking it was all over. So it was a really quick turnaround. There's a lot of hectic stuff going around, but, you know, like I said, I was just blessed to be able to, to be out there and, and be able to contribute to my team. How many days were you in the hospital? Uh, only one one day. I stayed a night there and, and got released. Uh, probably like eighteen hours. Wow. So you you have the kidney issues. You have a surgery to drain the kidney. You have a second procedure. Uh, how many days before the Oregon game was the second procedure? Um, ten. Okay. Ten so days. ten days. Ten days before the Oregon game, you have the second procedure. Then you play in the, you play in the game, um, and you know, I know that wasn't out there, but you weren't missing that game, were you? No, uh, I wasn't. I wasn't going to miss that game if you know if if I was cleared and told that I was you know safe to play, which they did give me that uh, clearance. So at that point, you know, it was there. Usually, I think it was like a two to three week recovery from what I had, and obviously I didn't have that time. So they're like, as long as you're cleared, it's just going to be a a pain and discomfort thing, which it definitely was. <laughs> But um, like I said, uh, you know, it was all worth it. I was just really fortunate to be able to even have the opportunity to be out there with my teammates. That's phenomenal. I mean, it, it it's phenomenal to think about you going through that, getting out on the field. I know the game got a little chippy. I saw, you know, a couple guys wrestling around after the play. Um, you know, I, it, it was obvious it meant something to you guys. It meant something to Oregon. Um, you know, I, I really keep us posted on what's going on with you. I think a lot of listeners have gotten to know you over the last couple seasons, having you on the show regularly during the season and feel connected in some way to uh, what's going on in the field. And uh, really phenomenal to, to see you guys uh, pull that game out and to now know the story of two surgeries and uh, 10 days before the uh, before the game, just uh, remarkable. Um, congratulations, man. Yeah, thank you. Like I said, you know, the power of God is real. The power of prayer is real. So um, I'm just thankful and I'm blessed. Jaden Grant, wish you the best. Thank you very much, John. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll get him back on. That's Jaden Grant. This interview brought to you by Jamba Juice. Jamba, life is better blended. Can I just say for a second? Did did anybody know that was going on? I was aware that he had spent a night in the hospital. I did not know what the issue was. Um, I asked him if he wanted to talk about it. He said no, and I respected that. But, Stephen, let's talk about this for a second. He, ha he has a kidney issue after the cow game, has surgery to drain, he, you know, spends a night in the hospital, uh, has a surgery to... Uh, drain the kidney, a second procedure just 10 days before the Oregon game, plays in the game, and makes the tackle on fourth and one. I mean, unbelievable, right? Like, what a what a tough guy. Like, just going against all the adversity thrown at him, it would have been so easy to say, you know what, I'm going to take it easy. I'm not going to try to work my way back. But you asked him, like, Jane, you, you were going to play in that Oregon game no matter what. And he said, yeah, like, he was shooting for that game that was his moment, and when the Beavers needed it the most, he made the play, and no one even knew what was happening behind the scenes. No one had known what he had been going through the last couple of weeks. I mean, just, just you know, the heart on that kid, man. That, he, he's he's just a football player, and he's a really good one at that. Oregon State, that's a guy that they're going to miss, 
uh, next year yes. because he is a he is the leader of that team. I would say. I I was you know as he was talking about making the play on fourth down and one, and he's saying, you know, he literally gave the call to uh, to the rest of the defense. Hey, we're going to you guys are man. You don't have a safety back here, and he creeps up to the line of scrimmage and makes the play on Bo Nix. You think about how important it is to have a guy like that on the field who can make that kind of decision. Like, I'm sure Oregon's not happy about it, the fact that Jaden Grant was out there. But literally, the idea that he was on the field in that situation, uh, just a a remarkable piece of backstory in that football game. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Judah Newby, I noticed you stayed on uh, talking to Jaden after he got off the air there. What are you guys talking about? Oh, man. Well, I was just uh, chatting him up a little bit about um, how he's doing physically after yeah. for, for one. And then secondly, um, you know, we're working out some, uh, some other things on the side, uh, you know, that are good and, and, and all that. And I was curious if, uh, you know, if his dad and his mom got to go down and see him and, and, uh, obviously Brian Grant being who Brian Grant is too. And yeah, he said that dad and mom got to see him while he was recovering. Uh, his girlfriend, uh, got to see him while he was recovering. And I just asked him a little bit more about like, uh, the nuts and bolts of, his recovery uh because isn't that crazy like he he was pretty vulnerable on the air but there's even more to to what he went through to get back it is legitimately insane um but i'm really glad he's doing doing better yeah i i knew that he was hurt for for listeners who are careful listeners you know he's joined us every week and that thursday came and it was the thursday of the arizona state game he missed that game and I had talked all week about the potential for Oregon State to be shorthanded on defense. It was only because I found out on that Sunday after the Cal game, I found out that he was in the hospital. And I texted a little bit with him, told him to get well, and asked him what was going on. And I didn't want to invade his privacy. There's a part of this job, too, that, like, one part of it is I'm supposed to report what I know. Another part of it is that you do develop, you know, a relationship and you get to know somebody and I don't want to violate that with Jaden Grant. I, I cared about him first and foremost as a person. And I didn't ask him. I never asked him if, you know, are you going to play? I never asked him that. I never asked him, are you not going to play? But just the sense that I had was that he was injured and that it wasn't necessarily an injury that he could easily come back from. And I, I did not know if it was uh, a, a kidney, a liver. I didn't know. So uh, I just kind of left it alone. But I had a couple listeners who picked up on it and said when he didn't show up on that Thursday, they said, oh, Jaden Grant's not playing. And I didn't, I didn't know if he was going to play in the Civil War game against Oregon. I, and then I kind of thought, I wondered, would he come out for senior day and just greet his family in uniform and then not end up playing uh, you know, in the game? Like, was he not going to be a factor? And he played that whole game. And then he made what was, I think, one of the biggest plays of the game in, you know, sniffing out the keeper by Bo Nix and making the tackle. And you heard him talk about it there. It's just, it's a remarkable story. 
And it's a kid that went through injuries, was a walk-on, for crying out loud, at Oregon State, ended up as a team captain, will uh, undoubtedly be a candidate for all conference honors, uh, first team, second team, honorable mention, somewhere in there, and is going to be a player that Oregon State's really going to miss. Now, I thought it was interesting, too, that he said he didn't know about the bowl game. Uh, and I got to think, guy like that, you know, probably wants to play in the bowl game, or is there a health injury that, a health issue that still is lingering with him? Like, I, I don't know. We'll get a check in with him closer to the bowl game. But really interesting story there from Jaden Grant. A lot of respect for him, what he went through. And I hope as a listener of the show, you feel like you were along for the journey. And it's why over the years, like, we started this, Jaquiz Rogers was a freshman when we started doing, you know, a player. Every week, same player. University of Oregon hasn't been as accommodating for this. They didn't want to lock a player into an interview every week, and I've tried to explain to them. It really started with Steve Fink, who was the sports information director when Jaquiz Rogers was a freshman. Steve Fink had the brilliant idea that, you know, it would help the audience really get to know a player because you would learn them as you saw them mature, much in the same way that a sports information director at a university would watch a player come in as a freshman who could barely get through an interview and then leave as a senior, uh, you know, standing tall with confidence, answering questions much differently than they did as a freshman. Like, we watched that with Jaquiz Rogers, and we used to do, you know, we had fun with it when he was a freshman. We did a thing called Quiz Quiz. And I would ask him ridiculous questions, and he would answer them, and then we would get to know him. We'd find out he had a sneaker collection. We found out, you know, he talked about his father who was in prison. He talked about going to school. He talked about what it was like to, you know, with his brother James to come from Texas to be at Oregon State. And and then we graduated away from Jaquiz Rogers. And when he left uh, college, we, we pivoted. And we decided, okay, what direction are we going to go in now? And Sean Mannion did it for a year. And then Isaiah Hodgins did it, the wide receiver uh, at Oregon State. We had uh, asked Isaiah for a couple of years. And then the last two years, it's been Jaden Grant. And I feel like I knew the kid a little bit because he grew up not far from where I live. So I had seen him around. I knew who he was. I obviously knew his dad, you know, before I knew him. But it's been really neat to kind of watch him grow up a little bit. And even to find out, like, you know, his girlfriend happens to be Anthony Newman's daughter. University of Oregon, star defensive back, NFL player. His daughter is dating Jaden Grant. And so I ran into her on the field before senior day uh, just uh, at, at the game on Saturday at Reeser Stadium. And, you know, she went to the University of Oregon. She's wearing a beaver beanie cap. On the sideline, I walked right by her, and then she said hi, and I stopped, and I said, wait a minute. I said, you're wearing a – I didn't recognize you in that beanie cap. And it's just kind of been neat to see the players over the years sort of mature. You've had a chance, I think, as an audience member to know Jaquiz Rogers, get to know him, to know Isaiah Hodgins, now to know Jaden Grant. I don't know who's going to be next. Maybe it'll be Damian Martinez. I don't know. We'll figure it out next season. But I, I got to give a little credit to Oregon State's Sports Information Department, Sean Scheffler over there and, and Hank and the team 
because they have committed to going, look, we're going to try to lock a player into this. And Jaden came on last year and mentioned he liked Jamba Juice. And lo and behold, the you know owner of the Jamba Juice franchises is a diehard listener of this show. And he said, I would love to connect with Jaden. And, you know, we'll sponsor the segment. And so, okay, there's now it's a sponsored segment. And guess what? Jaden Grant, I think, ends up with an NIL deal out of the interviews. Like, good for him. Good for Oregon State. And I think Oregon, Oregon, you know, I've tried to talk to them over the years and say, hey, give us a player. You know, we'll make it a regular thing. The audience can get to know him. I think, you know, I need to send him them this segment to have them fully understand kind of the opportunity that is out there for a player to kind of connect with the audience and connect with local businesses and connect with you, the listener. Like, it's the most beautiful thing. And I think, you know, us getting to know and having the comfort with Jaden Grant that he can share that story on air, man, that's special stuff. Five o'clock hour, still ahead. The five at five, we'll start it. And uh, we got Punch It Audio and a whole bunch more to get into. B. FFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. A lot going on that time of year. Busy. Stuff's happening. Coaches are getting hired. Coaches are getting fired. People are jumping in the portal. Bowl games are. Plotting. College football playoff, wondering who they're going to feature. Pac-12 championship game on Friday. Tomorrow feels like a newsy day. I don't know. A lot going on. Good stuff from Jaden Grant. Hope you heard that interview. Remarkable kid. We're going to play some punch and audio this hour. I'll give you all the news that you need to know about. That's coming up as part of the five at five, including punches thrown at a CVS pharmacy, including an arrest in college football, troubling arrest, a couple of troubling arrests. Let's be real. So at least two arrests today, coaching hires, including a surprise one, a punch thrown at a CVS. Like, you can't make this stuff up. What happened to the happy five and five? <laughs> We should do, yeah, the happy five o'clock. By the way, did I interrupt story. you? Did I interrupt you earlier in the, in the show? Were you going to say something about Jaden Grant? I was. I, I was just. I was just going to say, we both know how important leadership is on the field. Like it's easy to be prepared and be good on the field, but to show that type of leadership and to play like Jaden Grant does, like that is really going to be missed. I think for Oregon State, just the fact that he shows up in big situations. Sometimes even leaders. They crumble in those big spots where he really excelled when the game was on the line. That, that's all I was going to add. How much does that matter in sports today, in college football in particular today, where we have uh, a lack of continuity? Like, we've seen this manifest itself in the NCAA tournament. Let me back up. In the NCAA tournament, right around the era where Butler made the Final Four, made the championship game, there was an obvious shift in the NCAA tournament where the mid-majors who had juniors and seniors on their roster were good enough to play deep in the tournament against the teams that were really heavy 
you know, the blue bloods that were heavy with one and dones or maybe two years and done. Uh, it was a bunch of young, talented players against older, less heralded, but still pretty good players. Do you think we're going to see that now in college football at all with the portal and maybe even with the pandemic affecting eligibility? You're getting older players like Jaden Grant's a seventh year senior. That's special. That's that's almost like having a coach on the field. Yeah, I mean, especially with Jaden, like he he kind of defines what Oregon State football is, right? Like stay around and just show improvement year after year. But to your question, I do think so. I think these older teams, these veteran teams, especially in you know basketball and football, I think it's working out a lot. Where even in the NBA, it's not necessarily about the you know the star players in the league. You look at the Nets; they have three of the best players in the league, but they're not very good. Where you look at the Boston Celtics, they got Jason Tatum as a star, but then Jalen Brown, solid play. They have a lot of solid players to go around them. I think that's how sports is kind of going. It's going away from the star, and you got to have a full team, a full depth of team to become a really good team. And so I do think for Oregon State, like. Jane Grant is that perfect example of that kind of guy, right? Like, he may not be that superstar player that could play at any school in the nation, but what he does is he fits that role perfectly for the Beavers on that defense and really complements the other guys that they have. And then Trent Bray puts him in the right spots, and then look at his defense. It's great. Yeah, I think it's pretty remarkable. We saw it in college basketball, and we never I, – I didn't think it would affect college football because you don't see one-and-dones in – you know, going to the NFL, you don't see that. It doesn't happen. So, but I do think what we have seen because of transfer portal and because of the extra year of eligibility that was given to players in 2020, 2021, you're seeing older players who are suddenly on these rosters that weren't there before. And I do think some teams like Oregon State potentially could, you know, uh, could, uh, could benefit from that because they're going to get players who are older, more seasoned, another year. I mean, imagine what you would do with another year of college eligibility or high school eligibility. You would dominate. And so I think you see a little bit of that. Yeah, especially because, like, you know, when you're – and you know this. Like, when you're 20 to 21, you grow so much like, physically, right, as a person. And then if you're 21 to 22, like, you're a grown man going against 18, 19-year-old kids. Like, that is a big difference than what it has been before. So, like, Jane Grant, seven-year senior, like – he is a grown adult out there, and he knows what he's doing. Well, let's get on to the five at five. The five biggest stories going on. The five at five. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at Swickert.com. Well, let's start with uh, the bad news five, and then I'll give you some good news. Mickey Joseph, who was the interim coach at Nebraska for nine games this season, was arrested today on suspicion of strangulation and third-degree domestic assault, according to the Lincoln Police Department. Officers were dispatched to a residence on a domestic disturbance call. They found the 54-year-old Joseph at a separate location. He was booked into the Lancaster County Jail and subsequently placed on administrative leave by Nebraska. Uh, He is a former Nebraska quarterback. He was named interim coach after Scott Frost got fired. Um, you know, now Matt Rule is in, but Mickey Joseph is out at Nebraska and subsequently arrested. Let's go to the second arrest. Second arrest, Florida Gators quarterback Jalen Kitna. This one's disturbing. Arrested today on child pornography charges, according to the Gainesville Police Department. Uh, the Internet Crimes Against Children Division served a search warrant on a residence after a cyber tip for the nat- from the National Security 
Cent National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. My bad. Uh, they indicated that somebody distributed an image of material through a platform called Discord that was illegal. Investigators learned that the images were likely posted by Kitna. Kitna said he remembered sharing the images, but he believed them to be legal since he found them online. Police Department, they've arrested him. Florida has suspended him indefinitely. Third thing in our five at five. How about a fight after two arrests? Retired NFL star Terrell Owens says that a fight that was caught on camera in which he punched a man in a CVS parking lot was the result of an aggressor threatening him as he was talking to a fan outside the California store. Owens is 48, says he acted in self-defense on Saturday night, said the man made offensive gestures and threatening statements to him. Pro Football Hall of Fame wide receiver says he was approached, tried to de-escalate the situation, he walked outside, the man followed, yada, yada, yada. Said he tried to uh, prevent the aggressor from becoming more violent by throwing the punch. It's unclear whether police were called to the scene, but uh, Owen said, quote, like anyone else, I was making a stop at CVS and I was blindsided by this, end quote. That's three bad things. Can we have some good news, Kanzano? Come on. How about some good news? How about Trent Dilfer getting an opportunity? Trent Dilfer, the former Super Bowl quarterback, ends up getting a job. University of Alabama, Birmingham, plucked him out of left field, taking a high school football coach and making him their new college football coach, UAB, doing what a lot of schools are doing, taking somebody who's got connections to the talent and bringing them to the big leagues. Linscombe Academy's football coach, Trent Dilfer, who quoted just a week ago, congratulations to uh, Caleb, Bills, Caleb, Caleb Beasley and Junior Sherrill on being named finalists for Mr. Football in Alabama, is now the University of Alabama Birmingham football coach. Keep an eye on the flow of talent and Trent Dilfer. Is it is it going to have a uh, positive association or will Dilfer lose games? I don't know, but this is the trend. Keep an eye on it. Jay Butterfield announcing on his social media accounts that he is leaving the University of Oregon. He's jumping in the transfer portal. Jay Butterfield, backup quarterback at Oregon, never really got reps on the field other than the spring game and in fact a lot of people thought he was the second best quarterback behind Bo Nix during the spring football game. Butterfield transferring I like him in the Mountain West keep an eye on Nevada that's where Nate Costa his former quarterback coach is now coaching I just feel like it makes sense I think he's on their level I think he's a good player keep an eye on Jay Butterfield that's our five at five Two arrests, a punch, a hiring, and a transfer portal. It's not happy stuff, but guys, what's the most interesting of those five stories that I shared? Uh, for me, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to stay away from the arrests. It's just it's gross. Uh, so I'm going to go Butterfield. Uh, I want to I get from you because, you know, like you said, we haven't seen a lot out of him. Um, you know, And I talked about this earlier, Oregon State needing the guy, but 
you think he's a Mountain West type player? Is that is that the high ceiling for Jay Butterfield, or is he could he sneak into you know a Pac-12 type school? He, I don't know. I don't know if he has the proof of performance to get into a Pac-12 type school, but I think he I, look. I think he's better than what Oregon State started for most of the year. I think he would have started at Oregon State. So maybe if he's in the Pac-12, he's in he's somewhere like that. But I also think Oregon State probably can do better in the portal if they're playing like everybody else is. Look, there's not there's not going to be a Caleb Williams and a Michael Penix Jr. in every portal class. But you know, look at what the Pac-12 did in the portal this year. It got Bo Nix to Oregon. It got Penix Jr. to Washington. Got Caleb Williams to USC. It got Cam Ward to Washington State. Jaden Delora went from Washington State to Arizona. Um, you know, it was wild just to see the amount of talent that moved around. I don't think it's going to be every year that you have those kinds of QBs moving around. Trent Bray said it yesterday on this show, the, the Oregon State D coordinator. He kind of said it was a very unusual year for quarterback play and how many good quarterbacks came into the conference. I think it played a big role in why the conference kind of elevated a little bit. But, you know, even, you know, Jack Plummer went to Cal from Purdue. So I, I think for Butterfield, the Mountain West feels right. A Fresno State, a Nevada, something like that. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, Judah, what was the most interesting story to you? So the, the one thing I will say about the terrible uh, child pornography story with Jalen Kitna is that is John Kitna's son. And I was a big John Kitna fan growing up, you know, obviously a former Seahawk quarterback and that's got to be super disheartening for for him <laughs> to have his son involved in things like that. So that's just a terrible, terrible thing. And and um, you know the Kenna family's got some things uh, to work out there. Um, the Oregon State quarterback situation, I think, is kind of fascinating. Like, what other program could have the six success Oregon State is having with the quarterback history that they've had in the last, let's call it, three seasons? Tristan Jebbia. Sam Neuer, Chance Nolan, Ben Colbranson. Those are the quarterbacks during the three most important stepping stone years of Oregon State. I'm still a little confused on what happened to Tristan Jebbia. I'm still a little confused as to what Chance Nolan's future is and health status in general. And, uh, you know, Colbranson, obviously, you know, he did his best. But it's a failure if he's the starting quarterback week one next year. That's just the reality of the situation. I don't know much about this Aiden Childs guy that's like his heralded commit, but the fact that the Beavs are 9-3 and three and have kind of a revolving toward quarterback is kind of crazy. It's, it's stunning, and you just, you do, it's easy to wonder if they can solve the quarterback piece with something sustainable, whether it's transfer portal, <laughs> not that. Transfer portal is sustainable all the time. But if they if they could solve the quarterback piece, you just wonder where this unit and where this program could go. Yeah, I think, you know, and I think it's a testament to Jonathan Smith, right? Because it, it's really easy to look at Kalen DeBoer at Washington and go, hey, it's obvious why they had success. He has Michael Penix Jr. And the question at Washington is going to be, can he duplicate that? Like, can you find a Michael Penix Jr. every year? Like, you know, I think it's – I think it's uh, Washington looks smart and they look good, but I don't think it's realistic to think that they're going to be able to grab a quarterback of that caliber in every class. Right. So when I look at Oregon State, to your point, Jonathan Smith adapted who he was as a coach. I think it's it's even more impressive because, you know, this is a guy who at Washington as a play caller was very creative, had a very balanced attack. 
but used the pass game. He was lethal in the pass game. Washington was with him as a play caller. So now he's at Oregon State. They don't have a quarterback that you can put a team on their shoulders. So what is he doing? They're running the football and playing defense and still finding ways to win games. Like, that's good coaching to adapt to your personnel. Yeah, that's the positive is that it's now proven, like, the expectations for Oregon State have raised because – of how good they were this season without a stable quarterback. Nine wins, threatening to win a Pac-12 championship right outside of that, almost 10 wins, and they didn't have a good, you know, an, an average quarterback on their team. Just think if they get a good one, like, how good can this team actually get? That is, like, I know we've talked about Jim Machaltzik in the past a little bit, but best position coach in college football, as far as I'm concerned. Like, what he's been able to do with the offensive line is incredible. Like, we should be talking about Jim Michalczyk every day on this show. <laughs> like, that's how yeah. good he is. Mitchell Schwartz, uh, the long, the former Cal Golden Bear, longtime NFL offensive tackle, you know, won Super Bowls, guarding, you know, helping pass pro for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. He officially retired, you know, a few months ago. One of the first guys he thanks, Jim Michalczyk. He mm-hmm. helped me develop and grow as an offensive lineman. He Mitchell Schwartz was an annual all-pro guy. Like, those are the type of guys Machalczyk develops. Look at the Beaver offensive line. Joe Moore Award finalist last year, you know, for the best O-line in, in, the, in the country. Michigan ends up winning it, you know, because they go to the, the <laughs> playoff. But this year, those guys were ass-kickers. And Levengood, the center, gets hurt in the middle of the Civil War. Backup center comes in. You don't even notice that they miss a beat. Like, yeah. they just dominated. Oregon should be embarrassed that they got their butts handed to them in the trenches like that, but part of that is how good that that O-line unit is, and that goes back to Michalczyk, man. We need to shine more light on that guy, and we already do, but more light needs to go on him, and hopefully he doesn't go anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, you know, know, they gave her her a raise and an extension to Trent Bray at Oregon State. Jonathan Smith's got to be next. Mahalchek's got to be after that. Didn't they uh, give Smith an extension like last they year? They did, but um, I believe they're working on something else. I've okay. been kind of, I've been kind of trying to get to it. I believe they're working on something else with Jonathan Smith. So keep an eye on that if you're listening. You heard it here first. Uh, I think that's coming down the pipeline. Uh, I think these are interesting times. I think we're, you know, we're going to get some Rose Bowl news. I think we'll get some, you know, tomorrow should be a newsy day as well. I appreciate everybody who makes this show part of your day. You have to be here. 3 o'clock, you have to just flip it on. Leave it on in the background. I don't care. But you have to be here because we're not just, like, you know, I, I, I listen to sports radio in other markets when I travel. We're not just filling time. I hate when sports radio shows just fill time. We're not doing that here. Every 10-minute segment, 12-minute segment, whatever, is rich with information Stories like Jaden Grant, little nuggets of, of news. So keep an eye on Jonathan Smith's contract. I think Oregon State is working on something. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Been a fun show. A lot happens, always does. Show always surprised me. It goes places I never expected to go. Literally, uh, it just takes twists and turns, and I don't know where it's going. People ask me, somebody asked me the other day, they said, how much of your show is scripted? 
How much of the show is scripted? Hmm. Uh, none of it. <laughs> Only the guests. And I think Stephen and Judah can attest to the fact that uh, the show is very fluid. It uh, sometimes uh, blows right through stop signs. It often uh, includes left turns that nobody saw coming. And uh, we will uh, we have guests on the show. And then sometimes we just have people who call in that, you know, maybe the you know, we have guests that just calls in, says, I'm going to be on the air today. And, and it happens, and we roll with it. But uh, when the show starts, I can tell you today, we knew that uh, Jace Coburn, the Portland State men's basketball coach, was coming on the show at 3.30. We knew that Ross Dellinger, uh, who writes for Sports Illustrated, was coming on at 4. Uh, I didn't know Jaden Grant was coming on until about an hour before the show. He usually comes on Thursdays, but he wanted to come on today, so we, we moved him. And then um, we didn't know anything else that was going to happen today. You guys agree with that? Agreed. I w- yeah, I would describe it as a loose outline. There's always a loose outline to what's going to happen, and then uh, we just go from there. Is yeah. it different than other shows you've worked on? And Jude, I'll get to you in a second. But Stephen, you've worked on other shows. You've been at other places. Yeah. Is it is it different? I don't know because I just know this show. Yeah, I mean, depending on the people, I've been with people that will literally script out the entire show segment by segment, and then like write bullet points of what they want to say, and they tell you, they tell you what they're going to say. Then I've worked with other people that literally won't even tell me what is going to happen in any segment, and they just say, "Hey, yeah. we're going to turn on the mics and go." So. You're yeah. kind of you're not quite in the middle because uh, you're definitely more on the looser side of we have a general outline of what you do because sometimes you have bullet points but you don't say what your take's gonna be you like to hear it you know as it happens authentically yeah and sometimes I don't know what my take's gonna be <laughs> that I, used to, I did that I experienced that in TV it was the biggest change I had in doing TV I was doing KGW Sports Sunday with uh, Orlando Sanchez and Ron Pivo and Adam Bjornson and Joe Becker over the years and great producers and people there at KGW and I would go in on Sunday nights, and I can remember finding out how scripted TV was. And I knew it from Anna. Like, you know, they have a teleprompter, and they're doing TV. But I more or less wanted to know, like, they had asked me to do a commentary, and sometimes they'd say, you know, can you write out your commentary? And I had better success just going, give me a clock, and I'll go for 60 seconds, or I'll go for a minute and a half. And, you know, I was just better that way. Because it's more free flowing, but I I ran into people, uh, you know, like like that wanted to know what you, my take was going to be, and I don't like to do that. Like, let's just have a natural reaction and have a conversation back and forth. And I think the guys on the show had more fun with that too, because it was just us riffing. Judah. Yeah, no, I was just going to say I I can't stress enough uh, how minimal amount of preparation we do here. I don't. I don't want to say that though, because it make, no, that, that true, sounds though. like yeah, we're not. I'm prepped. just kidding. I'm just kidding. You did that yesterday. You kind of submarine the show yesterday at this time. Let, don't do that two days in a row. Because we like, are prepared. Like yeah. we do. We do prep work of what we want to do. I'm waking up at six o'clock in the morning. I know. You know what's going on with the Rose Bowl. I know what's going on with the Alamo Bowl. I know the tiebreakers. I'm talking to the Pac-12. We have Jaden Grant on the show. It's not like we just show up and flip the switch. Well, maybe Judah make, does. I don't know. I don't remember submarine and anything. <laughs> Yesterday, you made this big deal. You were trying to be funny about, oh, are you going to go to a Blazer game? And I didn't take a shot at you because I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be, not going to be snarky back. But uh, you know, we were talking about the Blazers, and you know, you were trying to say like, what? What was the point yesterday? Well, that I don't remember you going to a game in a while. <laughs> what? 
How many college football games have you been to this year? As many Blazer games as you've been to. Yeah, uh, yeah. The bla- the bla- I'm not. I'm not going to Blazer third game of the year against the Sacramento Kings when I've got Pac-12 to cover. That's what I'm saying. So, I, yesterday on the show, I had multiple people reach out and say, "Why is Judah trying to submarine you?" And I said, "I don't think he was. I think he was just trying to be funny." I think uh, it's because you you took a ditch on my Seahawks. Was that it? I take that very personally. (laughs) Let's go to Scott in Northwest Portland. Scott, go ahead. Hey, John, you guys sound like the Bickersons there. I know. Uh, I I wanted to comment on uh, Jaden, and uh, I think there are some direct parallels between Jaden Grant uh, landing on the plane for the Beavers being a captain and Jonathan Smith when he was a quarterback of the Ooh, Beavers, I, like I mean, he, he was not the lead, he was not the top quarterback in the Pac-12. Look what Derek, Dennis Erickson saw in him. And uh, the more I hear about Jonathan Smith is like the culture that he brings out and uh, his demeanor. And I think he's uh, doing great things to develop young men like Jaden Grant. And one last thing, John, you have to answer a question for your audience. I read that you were the highest paid uh, person at the Oregonian when you left, and is that true? And we'd like to hear more about it. Hell, I didn't know it, what anybody else was making, but I knew that I needed to go rogue. I needed to go on my own. I know that uh, I'm having fun. I know that I'm. I'm just. I, I don't want to. I don't want to like get into that part of it because. I honestly don't know what other people were making. And I think that's one of the things I think that companies should do more of is maybe allow the employees to talk more about that kind of stuff because I do feel like there are some, you know, it's a, it's a sensitive subject when you start talking about what people are making or not making. But yet we work in a world where everything is out in the open with the people that we're covering. We know what the players are making. We know what the salary cap is. So I don't want to get into that because I don't know what other people are getting. But I do know that I'm having more fun. I know that I'm uh, off covering the things I want to cover and writing the things I want to write about. And to Judah's point, like I wasn't trying to be snarky to Judah, but it's like if I don't want to be at game number three for the Trailblazers season and I'd rather be you know, off to the Pac-12 championship game when Utah is playing USC, that's not a game that I would have covered uh, in my prior role, I'm going to be where I want to be and be and cover the things I want to cover. Mid-season, I went to go see uh, Utah and USC play on October 15th, you know, instead of going to the Oregon and Oregon State game. So I think that probably played a role in it as well. I think there are good people doing good work at a lot of media outlets in town that I, you know, that I follow and that I, uh, I consider friends and colleagues. So I don't, I'm not trashing anybody. I just made a decision that was for me. I think it was the best thing that I could have done, and as I look back on it, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my career. I mean, for people who are reading me at johnconzano.com, you know how much fun I'm having. You know I wake up every day and I'm riffing. You know that sometimes the prep that I do for writing stuff at johnconzano.com ends up being like an, there's an overlap with this show, so there's good synergy there. I like that part of it. And, you know, the Blazers are interesting to me. Like, do you think we need to pay more attention to the Blazers? Do you guys, let's let's have an honest talk about that. Let's do it after the break, though. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Let's have a serious talk about these trailblazers and other subjects. I want listener input here. If you are a listener to this show and you think, uh, hey, uh, I'd like to hear more Blazer talk. I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575. If you're somebody who tunes in and goes, no, 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 th- I know what this show's about. I know that Gonzano's uh, not going to be talking a lot about uh, college basketball early in the college basketball season. He's not going to be talking about the NBA in the first uh, 30 games of the season other than, A, they're off to a nice start or whatnot. Uh, that bothers some people, I'm sure. I hear from people who say, I'd like to hear more talk about that. But I also feel like I only have three hours of time in this show. I have uh, a life to lead with uh, kids in column to write at johnconzano.com. And I tend to gravitate towards covering the things that I'm interested in. I'm interested in people, for example. And I'm, I'm going to give you a full disclosure on this. You know, the Trailblazers in the Neil Olshay era, they were a fun to a certain extent. And what, by I mean, what I mean by that is they were fun to cover to a certain extent. They were not fun to deal with on a daily basis. Neil Olshay was a headache to deal with on a daily basis. And combative and snarky and condescending and just not a real enjoyable experience. Like the ecosystem to me, felt infected, and in fact, when I called him on it, he did some crappy things to try to you know, retaliate against me. Took away my season media credential. Asked me to apply on a game-by-game basis to cover their games. Uh, that was unprecedented, and I think a little snarky and backbiting. Um, instructed employees uh, of the organization to not come on the radio show. They couldn't mess with Bill Shonley. They couldn't mess with certain players who wanted to come on the show. We had C.J. McCollum on the show. We had Myers Leonard on the show. We had, uh, you know, in early in his tenure, uh, we had other players that would, Alan Crabb would come on this show, and Wesley Matthews and LaMarcus Aldridge very early in the Olshay tenure. He couldn't touch those guys. But there were a lot of players who were like, hey, am I not supposed to come on his show? Or am I supposed to come on his show? I don't care. It's it's games. I don't have time for it. I don't have interest in playing it. So for a while, yeah, it it was a turnoff for me to kind of try to have to cover that team because I knew a faction of my audience um, cared about it, and so I would deal deal with it to a certain extent. To Judah's point, though, Judah brought this up yesterday. It was very important for Judah to bring this up. Judah said, you know, are you going to go to a Trailblazers regular season basketball game? The answer to that is yes, but not going to go to it during probably the early part of the season because I'm just not all that interested in sitting at Moda Center in watching this team when the Pac-12 has got a media rights contract that's up and you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday essentially dedicated to the Pac-12. You've got a new commissioner in place. You have a lot of stuff going on here. I think there's more interest right now in college football than there is the NBA. I could be talked out of that, but that's kind of where my heart is and where my head is. Now, when the college football season ends, which is coming soon, probably after the first of the year, 100% more focus on college basketball. It's always been that way on this show. We will dive more into interviews with coaches like Scott Ruick and and uh, Wayne Tinkle, and I want Dana Altman back on. We've had him on a couple of times in the last couple of years. I want him on more. 
He's been more difficult with me than others, but uh, I want him on the show. Of course, we just had Shante Leggins and Jace Coburn on. Uh, would I have asked for Joe Cronin, the Blazers GM, to come on the show? He's declined to come on uh, it, before the season started. I'll, I'll revisit that. Would love to get him on. But, uh, yeah, I would like to have uh, more Blazers presence on the show, have exchanged text messages with the, the new Blazers president who uh, replaced Chris McGowan. And uh, Dwayne Hankins is, uh, I think, moving in the right direction as a business person. So, yeah, I'd like to talk some more Blazers, but guys, are we missing? Am I missing an opportunity? Judah, you brought it up for a reason yesterday. Like, l there must have been a reason. Am I missing an opportunity to talk more Blazers? Well, this is not a, like a this year thing. Like, I think I've known you for a long time. I've known this show for a long time. Um, about half the lifespan of this show, so not, not, yeah. not the full length of it. But I do miss the days where you would interview Blazers. And you would interview the big guns with the Blazers. Um, you have to go back a while to find, you know, those days, as it were. But I miss, I miss the Wesley Matthews conversations. You know, I miss the C.J. McCollum conversations. Like you are, and I'm not blowing smoke, but you're a one of one. And by that I mean there's no other media member in this market like you, like your interview style, like your on-air style. I listen to a lot of sports radio. I listen to our competition a lot just as much as I listen to us. Um, you know, our competition talks more Blazers, um, but I don't think they do it very well. <laughs> I think the ratings reflect that. Um, and I think the team, you know, it doesn't help that the team's not so good. Uh, you know, the yeah. last couple of years or that's so. Been a, that's been a point of emphasis. Yeah. Like last season, I didn't feel like I missed a damn thing. And I was, the only thing we really talked about was whether or not Chauncey Billups could coach and should he be coaching. And then before that, it was pandemic talk. Right. When March and April come around and the Blazers are like fighting for a playoff spot, maybe a top four, man, this show is humming. It's flying. There's spring football in the air, and there's a Blazers playoff run. Like, I've been around for this stuff, and this show is so good in those moments. Are there minor opportunities missed during the regular season? Probably, but what's the true cost of that? I don't yeah. think it's very much. I think the listener of the show, the fan of John Cazzano, knows what they're getting, and you deliver that on a consistent basis. You and I are wired similarly in terms of our like sports love. I think like I I love college football. Yeah, rank it, rank it for me. What are your top three things? My my number one is actually the NFL. I'd mm. like a little bit more NFL talk on this show, but mm -hmm. that's so that's selfish. We don't have an NFL team in Portland. That, uh, so I, I struggle that. with that, but we have I, NFL fans. But I freaking love the NFL, and and my second one would totally be college football, but not just the Ducks and Beeves. It'd be all of the country and. You are the best at talking Pac-12 by far. Nobody close. I love this show for that, and I love participating because of that. Um, and then uh, the Blazers are like fourth, maybe fifth. Mm -hmm. So I'm not – it's so not really we're similar in that, that way. It's not a personal so thing. So you yet. weren't submarining me. I wasn't trying to, but I, I feel like I had my wife in my ear. It's like uh, she says, honey, sometimes I think you think you're funny. And no one gets your No, humor. I knew. I Somebody said that to me yesterday, and I said, I think he was joking. I, I don't think he was trying to be snarky. Yeah. You're not a – Steven, you're there with him. Is he a snarky human being? I mean, I thought it was funny, so <laughs> I laughed. Thanks, Steven. I thought it was good. I, it didn't bother me, but I I noted it because other people noticed it, and I said, gosh, should I address that with, with Judah? I'll just address it on air with him, and then you started doing it again, and I said, look it, here we go again. Yeah. Um, but – 
I here's the other thing I struggle with. Okay, we're in an era with sports media where, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski is the NBA guy on ESPN. Jeff Passan is Major League Baseball. Um, you you go around and everybody's got kind of they're an expert in a niche. Part of the challenge of hosting a show like this, while also being identified as one of the Pac-12 guys in the in the footprint, you know, I go on Salt Lake City Radio and Seattle Radio and Phoenix Radio, and they want me to be the expert on the Pac-12, and I know that stuff cold, and I can just reel it off. I had somebody who was uh, uh, the other day. I was doing an interview, and I was in a public setting, and somebody was eavesdropping, and the person goes, "You know all that off the top of your head." And I was like, I do. <laughs> yeah, I, like I unfortunately, that's all in my brain. But uh, but when I come on this show at three o'clock, I got to be more than just the Pac-12 guy. And I also think I cre- I give credit to the listener to a certain extent because I think the listeners are experts at, you know, you know what you're into as a listener. I'm never going to be able to suggest to you you should be into more MMA. You should be more into more horse racing. So I often will try to make the show more conversational. I'm more interested in talking about family stuff and the new puppy we have and Judah's pickleball problem and Steven's world record for taking his shirt off and all these interesting little asides that happen during the show to me glue it together. But, Judah, I do struggle because, for me, college football is number one. The NFL would be number two. Um, after that, uh, there's a little bit of a drop-off for me. College basketball, the NBA, baseball, Major League Baseball, all those things are in the conversation, but they're behind the football. And, you know, football's big for me. So I do get diehard Blazer fan or diehard college basketball fans who, who will express a little frustration with me that I'm not talking more about the teams they love. Keep doing that. DM me. Tweet at me. Email me because I would love to hear those things. And look, it's, you know, sometimes it's you're an audience of one. You want to hear more about, you know, cricket, uh, you know, cool. Email me. I'm unlikely to talk about cricket. But, Stephen, give me your totem pole. Yeah, uh, if you want more Blazers talk, go check out my podcast, uh, Believe Believe in Blazers podcast. That's where we talk about the Blazers. uh, Believe, B-L-E-A-V, the Believe Podcast Network. Um, You can catch that. It's once a week, so I'm a host of that. But, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go. I'll, I'll give my ranking. So, I mean, give I was. Me ranking. I, so, honestly, I like college football the best. I can talk about the NBA more than anything else. And I'm more comfortable doing that because I did work with the Blazers and I know what I'm looking for. I played college basketball. Like, I'm definitely more comfortable talking about basketball, but I enjoy watching college football more than I enjoy watching the NBA. So, I would say college football is one, NBA two, college basketball is number three for me. Yeah. So, here's what I do. On the show, I know we have you and Peter Sampson who are much more tuned into the NBA uh, from Go, even before Go, even into the summer. So I often will defer to you guys a little bit when we're having those conversations. And my questions and my commentary is more 20,000-foot view. It's, you know, I don't think Jody Allen should own the team. Uh, I think they're, they're hamstrung. I watch this franchise kind of bumble around in the dark a lot, making a lot of the mistakes that, you know, it, it seems to repeat, repeat history, not learn from it. So my viewpoint is there. But if I want to know, like, what are the Blazers going to do with the mid-level exception, i got to be honest with you, it puts me to sleep a little bit. But uh, I'll, I'll turn to one of you guys, and I'll go, hey, 
you know, is Jeremy Grant a good pickup for the Blazers? Is that a good move? The C.J. McCollum trade? Because I just see things from like 20,000 feet because I want the franchise to be good. I want there to be a parade. I want fans to have something to celebrate. Like, I'm in, into that. Uh, as far as the interviews go, you know, I can, I can to a certain extent maybe work in some more NBA interviews, more Blazer interviews. But only if the listeners want it. Like, if Judah wants to do it, you know, who cares what Judah wants? But if listeners want, like, do you want, you know, we tried to get Damian Lillard to do a regular interview on this show. His agent wanted money to do the interview. We're not going to pay for an interview. So that kind of went the wayside. Maybe I can revisit it and say, hey, you know, just do a one-off once in a while. We don't want to pay somebody to do an interview. Sorry, it's not how it works. But, you know, I think also maybe some of the new faces on the team. We've had Anthony Simons on the show. I didn't bring him up. He's been on, I think he was on last season a couple times. But, I, you know, I think we could do more of those interviews. In your opinion, what sport gives the best interviews? Because I feel like NBA players don't give the best they, interviews. Yeah. they. I think that part of the problem in the NBA is that I think the players come into the league so young. They don't get proper media training in college. They don't get that growth that the football players get. And they come in young. And the other problem is I think that they're incredibly impressionable. And I think that sort of the typical interview in an NBA locker room setting is, you know, a group interview, like five reporters, and it's a lot of the both teams played hard talk. You don't have a real conversation, like a real one-on-one conversation. I think that, that you know, people always say, well, what about a ba- baseball locker room? Players come into that league young. It's true, but they come into the league young, and then the baseball clubhouse is a larger sample size of players it's not just 12 players sitting on stools and, you know, five reporters all interviewing the same player. Uh, you do have one-on-one conversations when you cover Major League Baseball, far away from anybody else in the locker room. And there's a lot of standing around during batting practice and other places. And so you do, do develop some rapport with the players. Um, I think there's a lot of sound bites in the NBA. I think that the deep, the reporters who do deep dives – like Jason Quick's stuff on The Athletic where he's doing a deep dive with a player is incredibly fascinating, good stuff. But I think that, that those examples are few and far between. I think the better interviews happen when you get a chance to have like 15 or 20 minutes talking to somebody. And I think that's part, Judah, like what you say on this show is like I've had multiple people say, hey, I love the interviews on the show. And, you know, I, I think part of it is we get 15 or 20 minutes with one person on the show. And I get a chance to ask them things that sort of disarm them and then maybe surprise them a little bit. And you, you get a moment like Jaden Grant sharing that he was in the hospital. So I think, you know, that to that point, it's good. But I also think, you know, I got people messaging me and emailing me right now going, don't change. We love the Pac-12 talk. Stay with what you are joyful talking about. So, you know, we're talking about my dog. We'll talk about Judah having a new baby girl. We'll talk about Stephen taking his shirt off for crying out loud, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Never seen anything like that. But uh, we're also going to give you some sports. We're going to tell you what the hell's going on. Okay? Is that good? I like it. Sounds great You're to right. me. We're this right is, this is our preparation for next show tomorrow. Yeah. And to the people who are messaging me saying, you know, Judah was trying to submarine you. I, I know Judah's heart. Okay? I, he's been on this show. I I honestly think he was joking around yesterday. And, you know, I I... I will be, I I know that. I I think one of the things that I'm good at is I'm good at reading people. 
I know Jude. I know Judah's heart. Also, uh, submarining you would not be in my best interest for a variety of reasons. <laughs> I, I don't. So no. And, former member yeah. of the show, Judah yeah, Newby. Former APD at seven fifty. <laughs> the game. Uh, and the only reason, like, I'm comfortable. I would just say, like, needling you. Like, that's all it is. It's no. not fun and games. The only reason I, I'm comfortable doing that is because of our, you know, true relationship. Yeah. And I think, I think the best moments on the show are, frankly, when you guys disagree with me. I don't like when everybody goes, yeah, you yeah. know, you're right. And, you know, sometimes when we get people who are brand new, like when Steven was new, Steven, it, it, people are afraid to disagree with me. Like, that's going to mean they're going to get kicked off the show or something. I, I think so. it's part of why Anna coming on the show works or – Alabama, Adriana, once upon a time, because they would give it to me, and I think the listener likes that. I agree. I'm not afraid to disagree with you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for agreeing this time. Yes. Thanks for being I agree with you once. that I will disagree. Yeah. All right. Parting thoughts coming up. Leave, leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we've talked a little Blazers on today's show. We've talked some college football. Big show tomorrow. Don't want to miss it. Newsy day coming down the pipeline tomorrow uh, with the Pac-12 Conference uh, Commissioner George Klyovkov and Supervisor of Football Merton Hanks both speaking tomorrow. Also, uh, the potential for some other news. Uh, make sure you're tuned in at 3 o'clock tomorrow. That's all I'm saying. Uh, on that front, if you are a listener who listens deep in the show, I will tell you that membership has its privileges. Uh, if you want to uh, read me, you can read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. The podcast of this show, uh, grab the Jaden Grant interview if you miss nothing else. If you listen to nothing else on this show, uh, make sure you listen to the Jaden Grant interview that uh, it, where he shared the story of his injury. Really good interview, him talking about the Oregon-Oregon uh, State football game. Guys, what do we have coming up here on 750 The Game? We got Talk Timbers tonight Talk on the game. Talk Timbers. Yeah. Ooh, good stuff. Talk Timbers tonight. And Judah Newby will be guest hosting tomorrow, Peter Sampson on Friday. I'll be joining the show from Las Vegas to talk about the Pac-12 championship game. A lot going on. Uh, but uh, I'm just telling you, make sure you listen to tomorrow's show. You'll want to do that. You will want to be tuned into that. Um, there's some uh, some things afoot, so to speak. Uh, thank you, Judah, for being part of this show, not submarining me. Uh, also, <laughs> Stephen, appreciate you being here. The team of interns that are uh, working. Keith, uh, the you know the most valuable player on the support staff back there, meandering around in his Phillies hat. Uh, the bald-faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.